As a listener of the Shift Your Consciousness podcast presented by Marcus White and Jordan Briggs, we would like you to understand that this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Any changes to your supplementation, nutrition or lifestyle should only be done after consulting with a medical professional. Welcome to the Shift Your Consciousness podcast. My name is Marcus White. And my name is Jordan Briggs. We help people overcome a range of chronic and acute health issues and empower people to live a healthy, fulfilling life. Our mission in this podcast is to bring oppressed and current relevant information from all realms of health that you most likely don't know to empower new possibilities in your health journey. We want to help free your mind of the indoctrination of the mainstream medical system, media and societal dogma that disempowers your ability to heal, grow and live a connected life. If you're someone who is feeling trapped in your journey, not getting answers, but also equally fascinated in learning how to address the root cause to your health issues and is also open-minded to all mediums of health, this podcast is for you. So come join us to shift your consciousness. All right, we are back for another Shift Your Consciousness podcast, and I'm extremely excited for this guest. Um, he is my original mentor. He's had the biggest impact um, on my life as a coach. Um, his education, well, actually, the first time I met him, he actually blew my mind away with his knowledge around the gut and blood work, and um, I was just extremely inspired. Um, I feel really privileged to have been able to spend a lot of time under um his teachings uh i continually like mate i, I have his uh notebooks now that i write all i've had all my notes and i go <laughs> back and read them they're like gold to me um yeah. so he's a i would say he's the master of the gut um and he's a bit of a mastermind just in all things functional health um i like to say hello to dave o'brien how are you mate hey boys marcus jordan thank you very much for uh, having me, I was actually saying to you guys before we obviously jumped on the the podcast that um, I used to podcast all the time, like all the time, and uh, this is probably the first podcast that I've done for I don't know, maybe like a year and a half. Okay, so uh, you know, thanks for giving me, giving me the opportunity to to jump on and uh, you know maybe educate people on a few things and you know share my thoughts on some topics. Yeah, okay, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, thanks for the honour. Uh, thanks, Dave. Like I, I was jumping as well. It was uh, obviously one of the first interactions I had with you was on a podcast as well a few yeah, yeah. years ago now. And um, mate, you blew my mind away. And I'm like, I want to do what this guy does. And I remember having some conversations before that as well. And um, I was so inspired um, just because I knew there was so much more to health than just training people in the gym. And um, yeah, there's always that pull towards this direction. So thanks for inspiring me too. Wouldn't be here today if doing what I do. Oh, thanks for the kind, thanks for the kind words. Let's. Uh, <laughs> no, it's good. So, um, yeah. Now I feel humbled. That's good, mate. Like, yeah, I, just, I, I think I think you need the recognition, though. Um, I don't. I think there's. I think there's a lot of coaches standing on your shoulders, and I maybe they don't. Maybe it's not pointed out a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I like to point it out a lot. Who who's taught me? Um, and you've probably taught me the most. So I just want to make sure that's put out there. <laughs> let's let's get out of your ass. And, uh, <laughs> I like it. I like it though. I don't get it all the time. So. Yeah, you're feeling good. 
So, mate, look, I don't, you know what? I, I said to Geordie before the podcast, Geordie's like, yeah, look, I want to go into this. I want to go into that. I go, mate, we're just going to let Dave's mind go. It's been gone for an hour before this. Before we <laughs> We've already done like a, a pre-podcast. Yeah. Yeah. But I just said, trust me, mate, once we get him like passionate about talking about the things that he's passionate about, um, you know, it'll just go, it'll just flow easily. And like I said, I was really looking forward to this. But let's just start, mate, um, like introducing your journey, how you got to where you are today, um, maybe the things that motivated you, some of the things that inspired you. And yeah, just a little brief story about where how, how you got here. I wish it was a brief story. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to bore people to tears with the entire story. I mean, there's, there's a lot there. Okay. But um, I guess my original background, okay, and I'm probably not going to go too much into it, okay, is personal trainer, okay, you want to say like strength and conditioning. Um, and I, you know, I was pretty blessed um, to have spent a, a lot of time, okay, with I, I, I believe some of the most impactful people in the fitness industry. Um, and that's so that's obviously where I started, yeah, okay, and, you know, um, Charles Poliquin was one of my initial mentors. Um, you know, and, and, and Charles really, I, I always have to give credit where credit is due. Okay. Like Charles, you know, and I might not now, okay. Agree with all the approaches that Charles, you sort of took, okay. Uh, especially more around like the sort of functional medicine approach and all that type of stuff. Okay. But that's okay. You don't have to agree with, uh, you know, everything. Okay. Uh, that your mentor would educate you on. Okay. It's, uh, it's fine. Um, but, he, you know, I remember, I always talk about this because it was the one thing that really took me down this path. Now, obviously, there's many things that have molded me along the way as well, okay, but I had this conversation with Charles. Uh, I felt lucky enough to sort of sit down and talk to him for, for 15 minutes, okay. It doesn't sound like a long time, okay, but it was really valuable information that I got back from Charles. And that was the first, like, biosignature. Like, Charles used to run these biosignature courses and, Okay, you know, like over time, they became a little bit more diluted, okay, and you, you probably didn't get as much content. It became, you know, people just wanted the protocols. Just give me the protocol. Just, uh, I don't want to know, I don't want the knowledge, okay, I just want the protocol. And obviously, I would strongly disagree with that approach, okay. Uh, you need to understand, okay, what these supplements are doing and the right dosage and all that type of stuff. So, I feel really blessed, okay, like doing that first biosignature a long time ago now. Um, we went for like five days, Okay. Um, and he was just talking about things that I just go, what is this guy talking about? Okay. And here's me thinking like, you know, I, I pretty much know most things about strength and conditioning and, you know, I know, you know, a, a good amount of information around nutrition. Okay. And I, after sitting down for those five days, I realized I knew nothing. Wow. I knew nothing. Yeah. Okay. He was talking about things like estrogen clearance and detoxification and adrenal health and, you know, stress management. I'm probably not talking so much about the gut. Okay. Which is obviously, you know, one path. I went pretty far down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm sure we might touch on some of those aspects. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, he, I, when I sat down with him, okay, cause I already had this, this concept in my head. Yeah. Okay. Where, um, almost a little bit like a one-stop shop okay where it was i really wanted to create the first holistic based gym okay you know from my knowledge around that time there was no facility that was just like purely holistic based gym uh or holistic sort of approach um and i said to him okay i literally 
you know, uh, want to have like people coming and we're looking at things like their gut health and looking at their biochemistry. Okay. You know, having things like, you know, far infrared saunas and, uh, it might be things like, you know, meditation and all that type of stuff. So I already had this sort of concept and I sat down with him and he basically said to me, he goes, look, this is the best advice I could actually give you. Okay. Everything that I'm teaching you now, and like, I still have the notebook. Okay, just like you said, you had the notebook from like doing the mentoring with me. Okay, I still have that notebook, okay, from that five days, okay, that I spent with Charles. And literally, I took it in over five days, I took an entire notebook full of notes. Okay, I still have that. Okay, like it has a bit of a sentimental, uh, you know, uh, value to me. Okay, and he said, all everything I'm teaching you now, it means nothing if you don't go away and research it even more than I have. And that like really resonated with me where I just go, I'm going to do that. And the one thing I would like to think is that, you know, to honor Charles, that's exactly what I did. Um, and I've, you know, I continue, like, you know, you know, some people say you go down the rabbit hole. Okay. Well, I've gone down the rabbit hole and I, I don't think I've ever come back up. Okay. And, 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 <laughs> and maybe potentially I'll never cut pub med, pub med tabs open all the time. I reckon Dave. <laughs> well, you know, like, uh, uh, obviously, you know, you've already had like, you know, Jake Doshul on the podcast. Yeah. Okay. And obviously I've got a special relationship with Jake. Yeah. Okay. Like it's, uh, you know, started off as a, um, you know, Jake doing my uh, blood seminar course. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, there's been other people that have been like clients and all that type of stuff. Okay. But Jake was really like, it was just education. Uh, and then obviously sort of like mentoring him, you know, ever since then. Um, and it's a really special relationship. Okay. Because like literally, okay, there's no word of a lie. Okay. That, uh, we'll just look at like pub med literature, like all day long and we'll just forward each other you know, PubMed literature papers, okay? Like just throughout the day, okay? And then when we catch up, literally just might talk about one thing, okay? You know, for example, the other day, we just talked for about an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half about like, you know, GHKCU uptake. That's all we spoke about for an hour and a half. Yeah, okay? <laughs> so, so, but I like, I feel really blessed to, to actually have like, uh, you know, uh, that relationship and, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's no doubt one of the best uh, coaches in the world. Um, and I feel pretty blessed to have been, you know, a part of that. Okay. That development. Okay. Like, obviously I feel like he's expanded on that. Okay. Um, but you know, like Jake, literally, I, I really do mean this. Okay. He would actually be one of the first people that I would go to when I've got a problem, literally. Okay. And I, I think that's the type of relationship that you want to have with like other practitioners and other coaches. Okay. You don't want to be competing. Okay. You want to be bouncing off them. Okay. I mean, ultimately. Um, but obviously I've gone a bit of a detour there. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think it like a, a lot of my, um, my progression has really stemmed from that. And I like, you know, once again, you know, uh, bless his soul. Okay, Charles. I like if he was here today, I would. Uh, once again, I can have some disagreements around some of the approaches and all that type of stuff. But I would definitely, if he was around today, I would say thank you. Mm. Yeah. Okay. You know, uh, thank you for for giving me that motivation. Okay. And hopefully, I've honoured you. Okay. In in what I've achieved so far. 
Okay. Uh, but you know, from that, from that point on, okay, I've, I've been really blessed to sp spend time with, I believe some of the most impactful sort of like, you know, practitioners and, you know, strength and conditioning coaches, uh, you know, I would say in the world. Okay. A lot of the time you're not getting like, you're not getting a diploma, you're not getting the accreditation and all that type of stuff. Yeah. Okay. But they've definitely taught me some of the most, uh, uh, valuable information, okay, to, to help me to, 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 you know, mold a lot of the approaches and the programs that I use today, okay, and ultimately to shape me into the individual that I am today as well. Yeah, so, um, but, you know, like, one more thing in terms of like, you know, my own story, okay, my own story, okay, and this is just, this, this is, it's, it, it was a hard lesson, Okay, um, and there was many things that led to this point. Okay, but it was my own failing health. Um, and, you know, I always say to people, I might have looked pretty good on the outside. Okay, you know, had a six pack and the appearance might have uh, been relatively good. Okay, but I'm not, look, I'm not going to lie to people. Okay, like I really uh, burnt the candle at both ends. Okay, like it, look, like, put it this way I lived in the UK for 10 years. Yeah, okay, so um, I partied pretty hard. Yeah. Okay. And uh, like I, I, I abused things like uh, alcohol. I abused even like recreational drugs. Okay. Like I, I've just got to be honest with people. Okay. Um, and that obviously really came at a cost. Okay. To my, to my health. Okay. And you know, um, especially like you know, binge drinking on a weekend. Okay. I mean that's going to come at a huge cost. We might touch on this. Okay. To real key structures within the gut lining, okay, especially things like ISCs, intestinal stem cells, okay, progenitor cells, mm -hmm. obviously I'm pretty obsessed with those, okay, but also like panacea cells, yeah, okay, yep. and we might touch on these things, okay, and 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 once again, okay, if you're going to compromise the body, the, the, the gastrointestinal tract's natural ability to rejuvenate, replenish, okay, tissue homeostasis, rapid renewal, okay, but also the, the gastrointestinal tract's natural defense mechanisms which are basically like amps antimicrobial peptides yeah what do you think you're going to be more prone to okay you're going to be more prone to yeast and candida you're going to be more pro uh, uh more prone to negative gram bacteria lps issues okay and so i definitely started to get you know really severe gastrointestinal problems okay and that started to manifest with even like neurological problems and you know, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, it's like clinical depression or anything like that. Okay. But I, I'd have things like social phobias and nervousness and anxiety. Okay. And always say that like, there's a misconception in the world right now. Okay. Where most people would perceive if you've got gastrointestinal problems. Okay. That that is going to manifest with gastrointestinal symptoms. Okay. And I would actually say the higher majority of gastrointestinal problems are going to manifest with neurological issues okay and energy issues okay i would say when it's a little bit further down the line okay and it's start it started to it started to become like chronic now it starts to manifest with actual gastrointestinal symptoms yeah okay so mm -hmm. when, once, you, once you start to get those symptoms it's pretty far down the line okay um and so you know how i was feeling at that time i would not wish upon my worst enemy yeah that's how bad it was yeah okay like i i you know i say i've said this in many podcasts i was a heartbeat away from probably like an autoimmune disease yeah okay or literally maybe even something even worse than that okay uh and from that point 
I realized that. And especially like, you know, I had people saying like, look, you need to go see this specialist. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you might have like an autoimmune condition. Okay. Um, and you know, I, I definitely, you know, went to the medical system to try and find some answers. Okay. There was a pivotal moment there. Okay. Like I, I literally, um, I think I've spoken about this in other podcasts. Okay. There was a moment. I remember I got up one morning, like literally, okay. I had things like insomnia. Okay. I had spatial awareness issues. Okay. Like I was just like bumping into things. Okay. I was having to sort of like hold myself up. Okay. When I was like training people and talking to people. Okay. I had like a taxi. I don't know if you know what a taxi is. Okay. It's when you no. basically got like slurred speech and you um, you know, motor skill issues and coordination issues. Yeah. Okay. Is that like uh, sort of was- on the way to like a Bell's palsy sort of thing? I mean, I, I like got Bell's palsy. Yeah. Okay. I actually, yeah. So like that's, uh, you know, some people say it's you know, as a result of like a viral infection. Okay. But, you know, Bell's palsy that, you know, a big contributor to that. Okay. could be like, uh, so you basically have damage to one of the cranial nerves. Okay. Yep. And when you have actually uh, damage to like, so for example, like people like the vagus nerve is a cranial nerve. Okay. Uh, and when you have like damage to the, the, uh, the cranial nerve, okay. That actually, uh, affects like facial expression okay and you get a bit of a uh, like a dropping okay where you essentially look like you've almost had a stroke yeah yeah okay um and actually that did happen to me that actually happened to me when i was in the uk okay i remember actually one of my clients actually looking at me and goes i actually like one side of your face has actually just dropped okay obviously like i freaked out yeah okay i remember like actually going to the bathroom looking in the mirror and i looked at it okay and, like one face of my one side of my face had definitely dropped okay uh, I end up going to like, uh, um, in Marlborough, okay. Within, with, within London. Yeah. Okay. I went to a, like a emergency, uh, uh, I sort of like, like, I think it was like a eye hospital. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I went there. Okay. They obviously assessed me. Okay. I remember actually the, the doctor actually saying at the time, I don't want you, I don't want to alarm you. Okay. But there's actually, there's, there's, there's a good possibility either you've had a stroke. Okay. Uh, or actually you've got a brain tumor. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And obviously, they they end up rushing me to uh, uh, Chelsea Westminster Hospital in London. Okay. Uh, end up having like obviously scans and all that type of stuff. Okay. And you know, thank God. Yeah. Okay. I didn't actually have like a brain tumor. Okay. Um, and they they basically said, "Oh, you've got Bell's palsy." Okay. Um, and look, I was pretty lucky that I already knew. You know, I'd already started to go down this rabbit hole and understood things around biochemistry and. Um, and they told me, okay, like, I'll, look, the only way we're really going to correct this, okay, because actually the drop, okay, on one side of my face was actually pretty severe, okay, um, and they basically said, like, oh, the only way we're really going to correct this is is actually by uh, probably taking, like, uh, steroidal medication to actually help with that, okay, um, and I just, you know, thought about it, and I, I knew – I knew some aspects around like Bell's palsy, like being linked to like a B vitamin deficiency. Okay. And that's why you like B vitamins are really important for cranial nerves. Okay. Look, you look at the vagus nerve, okay. Like things like, you know, B1, thiamine, uh, your B12, cabalamin, okay. Like even B5, panathenic acid, B3, niacin. Yeah. Okay. Like these B vitamins are really important. Okay. To actually help with the, the cranial nerves. Okay. Um, and so I, I knew that there was probably a good chance, okay, that I could start to realign, okay, the complications with obviously the, uh, you know, one side of my face, okay, by 
looking at like B vitamins, yeah, you know, okay, and like methyl B vitamins. I end up taking like pretty high doses, dosage like methyl B vitamins, okay. And within the space of like, you know, a few weeks, okay, my face was pretty much back to normal. Okay. Wow. So that's obviously where I had some realizations, okay, like, okay, what's what, what sort are of we really being? What sort of dosages are we talking? Well, about? I was a long time ago, Jordan. Yeah, okay, yeah. but it was uh, it was relatively high dosage. I mean, one thing I, I would say for the listeners, I'm not advocating like okay that people go away. Okay, this is just obviously I'm just talking about my experience. I'm yeah. not telling people you got Bell's palsy. Okay, just go crazy high dosage like methyl yeah. B vitamins. Yeah, okay, because like I don't know. Okay, ultimately what's what else is going on for these individuals like underlying yeah okay you gotta be careful you can't just like supplement with mega dosage like methyl b vitamins okay especially if you've got like underlying you know gene mutations and you could have like you know the mthfr gene defect okay uh you know there's you know 50 different types of like methylation issues okay so you can't just go oh, i'm just going to supplement with like mega dosage like methyl b vitamins yeah okay yeah. uh but that's obviously where i had like a, a bit of a realization yeah okay where well, I've got, you know, what are we being told here? Okay. Are there better, you know, ways of obviously, you know, rectifying some of these issues? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, essentially with like something like Bell's palsy. Yeah. Okay. Like you just have damage to the seventh cranial nerve. Okay. That's, that's you. So that's essentially, you've got to repair that. Okay. And you've obviously got to give the, the, the body, the building box to enable it to do that. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm all about the building blocks, okay? And a lot of the time people are just going, oh, it's going to repair itself. It's going to rejuvenate itself. I go, is it? Okay, like, yeah, it will do that as long as you've got the building blocks, okay? If you don't have the building blocks, okay, like that's what you've got to start with, yeah, okay? So I'm really big on the building blocks. You know, Marcus knows that, okay? Um, and uh, yeah, I guess like uh, having the experience, okay, where there was like, you know, I had all these symptoms, okay? Obviously my gut health, okay, was, was starting to really deteriorate. Okay, I was like urinating out my backside like six times a day. That's no word of a lie. Okay, I, I mean, I just had s such little energy. Okay, I used, uh, I remembered that, you know, in between clients, okay, if I had even the smallest like gap or break, I would go um, and just sit in the car, okay, and just lie in the car. And, and that's how exhausted I was. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, I, I definitely had like aldosterone issues. Okay, Aldo aldosterone helps to balance out like fluid balance okay and actually helps with the uh sodium to potassium pump okay and that's all to do with like electrical systems in the body okay um and basically uh my aldosterone levels would have been like rock bottom okay it's a mineral corticoid okay uh and for people who don't know okay you actually produce that from the uh, adrenal cortex okay so a particular section of the adrenal glands okay um and yeah, when you've got low, low, low aldosterone, yeah, okay, like what you're doing is a lot of time you're excreting a lot of sodium out of your pores, yeah, okay, so you can get things like, you know, night sweats, okay, but I was just sweating so much, okay, um, and then you get soul cravings, okay, you also get really low, low blood pressure, you know, low resting heart rate, you're, you're pretty dizzy upon standing, okay, uh, that would explain like sp spatial awareness issues and, um, and literally the soul cravings were so bad. Yeah. Okay. Uh, cause obviously if you, if you had looked at like, you know, blood markers, okay, there's a good chance that my sodium, okay. Would have just been like really low. Yeah. Okay. And potassium might've been a little bit higher. Okay. 
Uh, a lot of time we can use the electrolyte mark as a bit of an indication of where you're sitting from an adrenal perspective, okay? Whether you've got like hypocortisolemus, like low cortisol levels, you've got cortisol resistance, okay? Uh, you've got hypercortisolemia, okay? So I definitely would have been sitting more on the hypocortisolemic realms, okay? And potentially maybe like cortisol resistance, okay? Uh, and cortisol resistance is where you can't shut off the inflammatory load and you just feel inflamed all the time, okay? Mm -hmm. And I was definitely like that, okay? And you, and, uh, but, and you start to become like, um, when they say cortisol resistant like you, you're not even getting stimulated by cortisol is that right yeah well the, like obviously the perception around cortisol is that cortisol is bad yeah okay but cortisol is good yeah okay like it yeah you're in trouble when you've got low cortisol that's yeah. when you're in trouble or you've got cortisol resistance okay so when you so despite what people think okay cortisol should not be the steroidal hormone so it's a steroidal hormone so if we actually look at the building blocks okay you need like dietary fats okay you need acetyl coenzyme a okay you need panathetic acid which is like you know vitamin b5 that's they're the building blocks that you need okay and then you've got mitochondria okay and then obviously you've got like you know total cholesterol ldl cholesterol and then pregnenolone which is a mother hormone yeah okay but cortisol is a steroidal hormone yeah okay uh and cortisol okay actually stimulates your lymphatic organs yeah okay so it's really important around like immune cells yeah okay uh and also uh you you could actually say cortisol is like you know anti-inflammatory a lot of people have this perception that stress hormones are like you know pro-inflammatory okay but this is like chronic and prolonged and this is where that becomes a bit of a problem okay but if you look at some like there's a there's a stress hormone called acth okay so it's it's called adrenocorticotropic hormone that you actually produce in the anterior pituitary gland okay but that actually helps with the release of interleukin-4 that's anti-inflammatory okay so we can't like demonize these things and that's what we do okay um I would say if you're a little bit more hypercortisolemic or more acute phase stress okay that that's the warning signs okay but that's not really where the major problems are going to be okay but if you have something like you know cortisol resistance for example okay um and you're obviously yes you're releasing the cortisol from the you know the adrenal cortex yeah okay and then what happens okay when you release the cortisol into the bloodstream okay you've got these uh target cells okay they're like a matching cell okay that you've got in like your tissues and organs around the body okay and then it finds the uh matching target cell okay and then it penetrates through the membrane there's a little bit more to it than this i mean yeah okay um, uh but then it, it penetrates through the membrane point, <laughs> <laughs> it, it penetrates through the membrane of the target cell and then it performs the chemical reactions okay so if you have some like cortisol resistance okay it basically means okay that the cortisol is not penetrating through the membrane and you do not get the chemical reaction ah, right. okay mm. and so in this sense if, if i'm saying that cortisol is actually anti-inflammatory and cortisol actually stimulates your lymphatic lymphatic organs and it actually helps with your immune cells okay then you're not getting the stimulation of the lymphatic organs and the uh, and, and the immune cells okay and also you can't shut off the inflammatory load so you just feel inflamed all the time yeah wow. okay and 100 percent, i was feeling like that yeah okay i mean there's obviously other factors at play as well i don't want to just say it was like a cortisol issue okay uh because there was so many like bacterial complications and especially around like negative gram bacteria and lps issues i mean obviously i talk about like lps like all the time okay like lipopolysaccharides um but you know at that point yeah okay um i I had, I had so much going on okay like it was like especially with the aldosterone issues okay like having the salt cravings okay literally i would go down the supermarket okay uh i, I talk about this all the time and i literally would just buy jars of uh, anchovies okay because obviously anchovies okay these were the anchovies where they add a bit of like you know um uh, salt in there yeah okay and so it's most likely just iodized salt or something like that yeah, okay 
And literally, I just eat an entire jar of like anchovies. Okay. I just could not get enough uh, sodium. I could not get enough salt. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then it just got to a point. Okay. Where I remember one morning I got up. Okay. And literally, I just plowed into the wall. Okay. Like, like I just had no energy and my body just got to the breaking point. You know, I, I sort of wondered, like, did I, did I actually pass out for a period of time? I mean, it's hard, it's hard to say. Okay. But literally, I just smashed into the wall. Okay. And obviously, at that point, I realized that I needed some serious help. Okay. Now, obviously, I did seek like medical help. And this is not me having to go to the medical industry or anything like that. Okay. But, you know, uh, I end up going to hospital, okay, like a lot of people begged me to actually go to hospital and, and try to seek some help, okay. They did all these tests, okay, they they obviously um, looked at my blood markers and obviously I'd started to go down this path, like looking at blood markers and, and all that type of stuff already and they basically looked at like uh, my neutrophils, okay. So for people who don't know, okay, like neutrophils, they're granulocytes, they're phagocytes, okay, what does that mean, okay. So what they essentially do is they they exhibit, so exhibit basically means that they, okay, this is what we're gonna deal with, okay? So they're gonna deal with like, you know, pathogens and microorganisms, okay? Um, and they, so they exhibit, they engulf, and then they excrete, they get rid of it, okay? A lot of neutrophils, okay, mainly get sent to the gut to try and, to try and fight off, you know, infection in the gut, yeah, okay? But in the medical realms, okay, and this is based on the, you know, the metrics in like New Zealand and Canada and the UK and Australia, okay? They would say this is medical or normal ranges, okay, which unfortunately you would think, well, that's going to put you at less risk, okay, of like, you know, disease or uh, mortality issues, which is like death, yeah, okay. But unfortunately, okay, still when you're in the medical ranges or the normal ranges, okay, you're still at risk of certain diseases, okay, and even like mortality issues. I mean, the whole idea of having like optimal ranges is so that you're not at risk of these things. I mean, <laughs> what, why should you, why, why would, why have the optimal ranges if you're still at risk of death? Yeah. yeah okay. All right. So the uh, medical or normal ranges for like neutrophils are like two to eight. Okay, I mean, you know, my optimal, okay, uh, is sitting at like, you know, 3.5 to 5.0. That might be different to other, you know, practitioners and uh, naturopaths and so forth. Okay, but that's obviously my optimal ranges, okay. Um, and I was sitting, okay, from memory, you know, uh, about 1.4. Oh, well, neutropenia. Okay, so, yeah, so neutropenia, okay, which basically... I mean, that's a, that's a conversation again. When people say, yes, it is neutropenia for sure, okay, but I go, Why? you know, I've had, I've, I've had clients come to me and they go, I've got neutropenia. And I go, do you know what it is? And, I, and they go, yeah, it's a lowering in the neutrophils. I go, yeah, yeah. So do you know why you've got the neutropenia? They go, no, I've got, I've just got neutropenia. I go, no, no, it's, it's not a diagnosis. Yeah, okay. That's stating the blooming obvious. Yeah, okay. Like I can look at your buds and go, yeah, you've got low neutrophils. Oh, what's the diagnosis? Uh, you got low neutrophils. <laughs> That's <laughs> I'm not like yes, that is what it is. Okay, but, but we've got to understand why do you actually have low neutrophils? Yeah, okay. That's what we need to understand. Yeah, um, but they basically looked at that. Okay, and this is where I actually realised. Okay, like there's something fundamentally wrong here. Okay, and they just said, well, look, we can't actually find anything wrong with you. And I go, okay, so I've just plowed into the wall. I potentially passed out for a period of time. I'm urinating out my backside like six times a day, okay? I've got ataxia, okay? Like, you know, borderline, like these symptoms, uh, they're, they're quite similar to like something like ALS, okay? Which is like motor neurons, yeah, okay? 
Um, so that's why, like, you know, heading down that sort of like autoimmune and, mm. okay. Um, now I've got all these symptoms and basically you've looked at all my blood work and you've concluded there's nothing wrong with me. Oh my God. You're kidding. And that, and that's where I like, like, actually and then they surprise. basically it doesn't surprise me, but like, <laughs> come on, there's something wrong with you when you got all these. Yeah. Well, and then, it, and then it just got to a point, okay, where they just said, okay, look, well, we'll just do some other tests. And I go, well, what other tests do you want to do? And they go, well, well, we'll give you a lumbar puncture. Okay. And I just go, but a lumbar puncture is for like meningitis. And I like, and so if I've got meningitis, okay, surely I would have like, you know, almost like, you know, symptoms like migraine with aura, like, you know, severe headache, okay, sensitivity to light. I don't have any of those symptoms. Okay. And they just go, well, we've just got to double check. And I go, but a lumbar puncture is a serious, uh, it's a serious procedure. Okay. And it's quite invasive. Okay, so it's actually going to be quite stressful on my body. Okay, my body's already in not not a very good place. Okay, um, and so then I just said, okay, that's it. Okay, and they go, what do you mean? I go, well, just give me the documentation. I'm going to sign myself out. And they go, well, you, you understand that we can't accept anything. I go, that's fine. Just give me the documentation. That's it. Okay, and from that point onwards, I realized that I had to heal myself. Okay, and so when I say and I know lots of people can say this, okay, but this is like, this is the truth. I had zero help. Like zero help. Okay, like and I, I, I tried some other functional, med, uh, functional medicine practitioners, okay, and they would focus on like adrenal health and they would focus on like using adaptogens and all that type of stuff. And I'm not saying I didn't give it a go, I gave it a go, okay, but I just wasn't getting better. And then... I would say that I, you know, I got some inspiration from some other people. Okay, there's a guy called Dane McDonald. You know, shout out to Dane. Okay, he owns like Clean Health. Yeah, okay, but he sort of like introduced me even a little bit further to, you know, like uh, looking at blood markers to try and optimize your health. And okay, he was actually probably one of the first people to do that. Okay, and then obviously there was other people along the line as well. Um, so, but that's where I, you know, went pretty. I started to go pretty far down the rabbit hole. Okay, and then. I started to create protocols, okay, to fix gastrointestinal issues, okay, and even um, you know some of the things that I was learning in the functional medicine space and so forth. That's why I started to question some of these approaches, okay, uh, and this is where ultimately I sort of came up with the uh, what I would say is the heal, kill, heal approach. Okay, because uh, for people who don't know, okay, like the, the common approach, because obviously like I, you know, I did a lot of like extra like blood testing and I did stool testing, okay, and obviously discovered that I had a lot of like, you know, like bacterial complications. I think I had up to about five or six like pathogenic strains of like negative gram bacteria and they were actually some of the worst, yeah, okay, like, you know, like citrobacter. Okay, I actually had uh, one called Citrobacter from Die Complex. Yep. Okay, so I know it sounds pretty complicated. Okay? I had the same one. Uh, yeah, yeah, but sure. Citrobacter from, from, from Die Complex, I mean, if you actually look at it, okay, for people who don't know, okay, like we're talking about negative gram bacteria, uh, I do I do hate the fact that a lot of people perceive that negative gram bacteria is like all bad. I mean, it sounds like that. You've got the two major groups, like positive gram bacteria and negative gram bacteria, okay? But the way it works, okay, like it just refers to the cell structure basically, okay? So positive gram bacteria has one cell membrane. That cell membrane is made of peptidoglycan, which is amino acids and sugars basically, okay? 
And then you got like a, a periplasm and then you've got like space and then you've got a cytoplasm basically. So it's the cell structure, okay? And the way it works with like positive gram bacteria, it's not like all positive gram bacteria is good, okay? Like positive gram bacteria, you do have pathogenic strains. So that would be like bad bacteria for people listening, okay? And then you've got some strains that are non-pathogenic, so they're beneficial, okay? And so negative gram bacteria is the same, okay? It just refers to the cell structure. The outer membrane is where a lot of the issues are, which is the LPS, okay, which is the fatty acid molecules, the long chain carbohydrate molecules like polysaccharides, monosaccharides, okay. Uh, the perception around like negative gram bacteria, I do want to break this down, okay, is can be a little bit warped, okay, where a lot of people think that negative gram bacteria is just really hard to break down, okay. It is actually really hard to kill the bacteria cell, okay, but it's not actually very hard to break down the bacteria cell wall. Mm. Okay, actually LPS is really easy to break down and that's actually where the issue is, okay, because when you break down that outer cell membrane, okay, you're expelling anywhere between one, 1 million to 3 million particles of LPS in your system, okay, if you can't really contain that within the gastrointestinal tract, that's actually obviously where it creates some massive issues, yeah, okay. Um, so. With the, so, uh, so there's non-pathogenic strains of like, uh, negative gram bacteria. Okay. So most negative gram bacteria is beneficial. Okay. And then you obviously have the pathogenic strains. Okay. And there's like the big four. Okay. The big four is like Pseudomonas. Okay. Citrobacter, Klebsiella, Enterobacter. Okay. There's some of the more pathogenic strains like negative gram bacteria, but then they're the broad groups. And then you've got all these individual strains. So with the Citrobacter, Okay, and I, I had things like the isolates, so I had a lot, yeah, okay. Uh, the citrobacter complex is basically being linked to things like brain abscesses, okay, lesions in the brain, plaquing in the brain, okay. Um, so, you know, a lot of people with citrobacter complex, they get a huge amount of pressure in the brain, okay. Uh, they can have like that sinus pain behind the eyes, okay, but a lot of pressure, okay. Um, and I had the citrobacter complex, okay, and citrobacter complex has a bit of a link to neurodegenerative diseases like uh, MS, multiple sclerosis, okay. A bit of a link there, okay. I'm not saying that's it's the major cause, okay, but there is a bit of a link there, okay. So I basically had like all these, you know, more pathogenic strains of like negative gram bacteria, and, and people do need to understand that there can be like different types of like LPS, okay. And with like the big four, okay, you get like uh, hexacylator or hexacylation, okay, and that basically what it does, it creates more hyperpermeability, like a loosening and a widening of the intracellular tight junctions in the gut lining, okay, and it just creates like more inflammation, okay, and like uh, negative gram bacteria already raises all these pro-inflammatory proteins in the body. Okay, NF-kappa-B, that switches on your genetic predisposition for autoimmune disease and cancer, interleukin-1. And I'm not saying these like pro-inflammatory proteins are like all bad. Yeah, okay. Uh, TH17, that increases interleukin-17. Uh, interleukin that creates more neutrophil recruitment, so like overactive immune system, uh, IFNY, TNF-alpha, interleukin-6. So you just raise so many pro-inflammatory proteins. Okay, so what do you think the symptoms that you're going to, get it going to be like yeah okay uh, and that's why a lot of people with like lps exposure you know they tend to get like uh inflammation where they've got high articular cartilage like the fingers can be a bit puffy a bit tight in the wrist yeah okay uh, obviously you've got a lot of articular cartilage in the spine especially in the cervical spine so a lot of time you know people with lps issues they're quite tight in the upper traps Okay, really tight in the neck they can be a bit tight in the thoracic as well because obviously you've got a lot of articular cartilage there as well 
they're a lot more prone to osteophytes, okay? And you can find this in the literature, okay? Osteophytes are like bone spurs, okay? They're a lot more prone to inflammation where you've got like complex joints, one of the most complex joints in the human body is the knees, okay? So they're tight in the knees. Okay, once again, I'm not saying these, these people can't function, okay? But if I, you know, obviously what was taking place for me in that, uh, you know, around that time, okay, is that I just training, I just had this, terrible like you know discomfort and pain in the knees and just you know pain in the neck it was like unbearable okay which is so tight yeah okay and i you know i just obviously i realized okay there has to be a better way of you know dealing with these issues yeah okay and like the medical approach ultimately okay there's two theories yeah, okay there's two theories here so one is germ theory and one is terrain theory yeah okay and so to break that down okay like germ theory now ultimately i don't want to make it sound like i'm saying one is more important than the other because that's where the issue is yeah okay is that you have people saying that one is more important than the other okay and the way i would generally get people to look at things okay i would say when it comes to achieving optimal health and i'm not discrediting like all the other things that people use to try and help with optimal health I would generally say it's a lot of the things that we haven't heard about. And it's a lot of the things that we don't focus on where there tends to be a lot more issues. Because you, you, you can't you can't improve what you don't know about, ultimately. Yeah. Okay, and people are doing all these other things, okay, but then there's a lot of things they don't know how important these things are. Yeah, okay. So I mean you know, maybe we might uh we might touch on that a little bit more, okay? But like the, the, the germ theory is really based on the virus, okay? Or it's based on candida and yeast. It's based on, um, you know, negative gram bacteria. It's based on uh, parasitic infection, like protozoa parasites. So things like Blastocystis hominis and Dentamoeba vigilis, okay? So this is really like germ theory. So it's really based on the bacteria. It's based on like prebiotics, probiotics, okay? Replenishment, okay? And then you've got terrain theory, okay? And terrain theory is really based on the structure. Okay, now a lot of people might listen to the, you know, the information that I put out, might listen to this podcast and go, well, he's just like real terrain theory. Okay, but the reason I don't think I'm more terrain theory, the reason I think that I talk about terrain theory so much is because we have not talked about it at all. And that's the fundamental issue. Yeah, okay. Uh, and I definitely want to talk about, you know, some of these, you know, some of this terrain theory or some of this structural aspects, especially within the gut lining. Okay, because once again, yeah, it's definitely like two things I want to talk about because I started to realize like just base level entry when it comes to gut health. Yeah, okay. If you don't understand what the, the gastrointestinal tracts, natural replenishment, rejuvenation, okay, restorative, okay, tissue homeostasis processes are, you cannot really fundamentally understand understand gut health, mm. okay? If you don't know what the natural defense mechanisms are within the gut lining, you cannot fundamentally understand gut health, okay? And what I quickly realized is when I did you know, obviously particular courses, okay, uh, a lot of the mentoring I was doing, okay, like no one taught me about that. Nobody. No one That's still is, issue. No one still is. That's a huge issue. Mm. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, like I, 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 you know, I, I guess, you know, like I, I quickly realised, yeah, okay, that 
you know, this, this sort of like obsession with this germ theory. Yeah. Okay. Like it doesn't seem to be solving a lot of people's issues. Okay. Like let's look at it. Candida and yeast. Okay. Is candida and yeast all bad? No. Okay. It's commensal. It's meant to be there. Okay. You've got like 80 different strains on the skin. It's commensal there. It's commensal in your, uh, nasal passages. Okay. In your sinus passages. Okay. Um, you know, yes, there's 150 different strains of candida and yeast. Okay. But you've got like two major groups. Okay. Two major groups, basically. Okay. One group is commensal. Okay. So it's part of a normal ecology. Okay. And even if you look at like the one that sort of gets talked about the most, which is candida albicans. Okay. Uh, and that's the one that can turn systemic. Okay. So it can be linked to things like cancer and, you know, other systemic diseases and all that type of stuff. Okay. But that's the virulent form of candida albicans. Okay, you have a, a commensal form of candida albicans, okay, that actually can actually help with aspects around your immune system and uh, nutrient assimilation and nutrient absorption, okay. So, but we have this obsession, okay, that the, the person's got the candida in the yeast and the only approach is to use like antifungals, niastatin, okay, uh, you know, natural antifungals, okay, and I, I want to make it clear, I'm not saying I'm against these things, okay, and you guys probably know this, a lot of these things I talk about, like, it could be like monolurin or colloidal silver or, you know, caprylic acid, okay, some other people might say, you know, grapefruit seed extract, okay, I think that's probably a little bit better around, like CFO, small intestinal fungal overgrowth, yeah, okay, oregano oil, which I don't know if you guys know this, I'm not a big fan of oregano oil, yeah, yeah okay. Uh, um, so, but then people go, well, that's that it's just a, like eradication. And the thing is, okay, if that works, why is the reoccurrence of candida and yeast 49%? Exactly. Mm. Like if you're running a business, okay, you run a business based on KPIs. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if you had like a, a business, okay. And there was a 49%, okay. Failure within your business. I mean, you're most likely just going to go, this business model does not work and I'm going to start again. Mm -hmm. Okay. Even SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which obviously a motility issue, it's a gas exchange issue. Okay. Like 66% of people roughly, okay. You don't always know if these stats are hundred percent accurate. Okay. But they say about 66% of people relapse. Okay. Three to six months after completing a SIBO protocol. Okay. And that's really going to be based on antibiotic therapy. It's going to be based on things like rifaximin, neomycin might be like maybe a, a combination of like elemental diet or something like that, starving out the, you know, the SIBO. Okay. It might be uh, broad spectrum or proprietary blends. Like it could be like FC seed or dysbiocide. Okay, candy backed and okay, but the stats aren't good. Okay, even like, you know, just post doing antibody therapy, they say, well, there's about a 40% relapse. Most of the time that's going to be, you know, uh, rifaximin. Okay. Uh, and then I couldn't even tell you, I think the, st the relapse statistics might be a little bit better around H. pylori. Okay. I think in like developing countries, it's pretty bad though. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then like, I couldn't even tell you what the relapse statistics are like for like negative gram bacteria because you don't really know. Okay. So it might be even worse than that potentially. Okay. So my, my whole thing is if the eradication method works so well, you're not going to have relapse statistics or reoccurrence statistics. Okay. Bordering on 50% and plus. Okay. So why are we continuing with this approach? Okay. Uh, and so. I quickly realized, okay, that there's no real focus on the, the terrain, the structure. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, that's why I really started to go against, okay, everything I was taught. 
Okay, I did actually have to take a, a leap of faith, okay, because I just basically said, well, I just don't think this actually works, okay? And I actually copped it from my colleagues just saying, well, this is the standard approach. The standard approach is like, so naturopathy and functional medicine, okay, they sometimes they, they think they're sort of, this is just my personal opinion. I just want to make it clear, okay? But sometimes they think they're above the medical system. Okay, because I, like, we're using like uh, alternative medicines and we're using like natural compounds, okay? But the thing is, where I have the issue is I have an issue with the ideology. That's where I've got the issue. And the ideology is very similar, very similar, okay? And a lot of time they are going to use herbs and all that type of stuff to mitigate a symptom. But we're not getting to the bottom of what the actual issue is. I mean, ultimately, that's like we want full alleviation of symptoms, okay? Not temporary alleviation of symptoms, yeah. okay? Uh, and so sometimes I think like we think it's a different approach, okay? Like my analogy to this, okay, uh, I, won't, I won't break down the whole analogy because it goes for a while, okay? But I, there's there's an analogy I came up which is came up with which is called the forest analogy, yeah. okay? And the forest analogy, okay, is basically like this is an ecosystem, the gut is an ecosystem, there's no doubt about that, okay? Um, you know, some, some people debate like, oh, okay, there's more cells in the body than bacteria or other people would say, and I probably might be one of those people that say there's more bacteria in the body than cells. It's relatively close. I, I think there's probably just a little bit more bacteria than cells, okay? So we're made up of like 100 trillion bacteria, okay? So to think that something is so dominant within the body and it's not going to have like a bearing on things like gene expression and all that type of stuff, it's just mental, okay? So... Yeah, obviously we're made up of a, a huge amount of like uh, like bacteria. Yeah, okay. So this is the eco this is the ecosystem. Okay. Now I use the forest analogy. Okay, just saying that if we have a, if we had a forest, that's an ecosystem. Okay, and you just wiped out all the trees. Okay, how do we fix that problem? How do we restore the ecosystem? Okay. Well, modern medicine would come along in this instance, and okay, and they would go well because. I, I do use the example of like Australia, okay? So if you wiped out all the trees, okay, and then you had like grass growing, okay, you're probably gonna have more kangaroos, okay? Because they're a grazer, okay? And so it's an environment that is perfect for them, okay? And that's the same thing. If you compromise the environment, okay, there's gonna be like, uh, uh, you can't really keep in check things like the yeast and the candida, and maybe there's like more virulent forms, okay? Um, and there's obviously more opportunistic uh, pathogens and microorganisms, they're gonna take advantage of that, okay? So basically, if you had more kangaroos, okay, the medical approach is just like, just completely wipe out all the kangaroos. So we're gonna use a nuclear bomb, we're gonna blow up all the kangaroos, solve the problem. Yeah, you solve the problem for a period of time, yeah, okay? So you get some relief, yeah, okay, potentially. But then the issue is, okay, that the grass is gonna to start to grow back, okay, the kangaroos come back again, okay? And you don't have an environment, okay, where the animals that live in the canopy and the trees, okay, are gonna, proliferate and they're going to flourish in that environment okay then naturopathy and functional medicine go well we don't like that approach okay we're not going to use a, a nuclear bomb but we're going to use a machine gun yeah. okay so we're going to wipe out all the kangaroos okay and then after we do that we're going to put the animals that normally live in that environment we're going to put them back in okay but guess what this they don't have the environment that they can flourish in there's no trouble okay? there's no trees yeah okay there's no terrain there's no structure hmm. okay and so basically okay um you, you could actually say okay the, the approach in naturopathy and functional medicine is basically uh what is it weed 
seed feed. Yep. Okay, which basically in a, in a nutshell, okay, is um, you're eradicating, you're still using the same approach, okay, and then you're, so to speak, putting fertilizer over the top of the grass. Yeah, okay. So it's going to be like prebiotics and probiotics, okay. And I just started to realize, okay, that if I'm looking at the statistics, I'm looking at reoccurrence, I'm looking at relapse, this doesn't work. Okay, and I went against everything I was taught. Okay, where I started to go, you know what? I think we've actually got to repair these structures first. Okay, that would actually keep, okay, the bacteria in check. Okay, and that's obviously where I came up. Okay, with the heal, kill, heal approach, and ultimately the goal should be is that if we can get away with not doing the kill aspect of that that should be the goal okay and the reason being okay because if you do like even if you're using like natural antibiotics and natural antimicrobials there can be a bit of collateral damage there okay and also it can be pretty hard for the client yeah okay i mean obviously they can have a lot of herxime and diet reactions okay um so if we can get away without doing that that would be the the i mean that would be the better approach ultimately okay so I'll give you another example here, okay? So if I said to someone, okay, what's your natural defense mechanisms within the gut lining to keep in check like yeast and candida? Okay, now people are gonna go Dr. Google, Wikipedia, okay? And what do you think Dr. Google and Wikipedia is actually gonna come up with? Do you know? Nah, I don't know. Tell me. Maybe, maybe like um, commensal, like certain commensal flora strains, like like the um, and potentially, the, potentially, yeah. it doesn't though. It doesn't because I've obviously yeah. done this. I've actually, I've actually funny. done this. I've gone to Doctor oh, Google. Yeah. I've gone to Wikipedia. I go, okay, what's the body's natural defense mechanisms against candida and yeast? And bear in mind, not all candida and yeast. Once again, is bad. Yeah. Okay. So what comes up is antifungals. <laughs> okay. So let's break that down, okay? So antifungals would be things like niastatin, yeah, okay? And that's obviously, you know, pharmaceutical, yeah. okay? Uh, but it might be natural antifungals, okay? Once again, like the ones I stated, monolurin, clodal silver, capillic acid, okay? Now, do people seriously think that your body's natural defense mechanisms, okay, are going to be things that you're reliant on an external factor to do that for you? That's an external factor, okay? You've got to, you've got to take that, okay? You've got to administer it, okay? Yeah. Now, if that was the case, people would just be walking around, like females, like vaginal thrush, people got thrush in the throat, they got like a white coating on the tongue, they got fungal toe infections, okay? Because there's just no way that you're just gonna constantly be taking like monolurin to try and regulate that, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so this is what I start to realize, okay, that people, like, you've got to realign the body's, or the, or the gastrointestinal tracts, natural defense me me mechanisms to keep that in check okay so one of these okay is panacels okay so panacels okay i've gone pretty far down this rabbit hole okay i think they're one, one of the most overlooked okay and I, I would generally say that most people have no idea what panacels are okay? I, I think i think this is really good just to make a real point of it dave because a lot of people yep. talk you know there'll be people that don't know anything about like an epithelial cell, mm. or they might have heard of oh, epithelial cell, but they don't realize that there's different types of epithelium. And it's there's different types of like epithelium. Okay. Yeah. Like, obviously, you know, I feel like I could talk about like epithelial cells like 
probably for a few days. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to subject uh, or like your listeners to that. Yeah, okay. But basically, do most people like listen to the podcast or it's going to be like a, a visual, like a lot of people like there's a visual? Uh, no, yeah. I'll, I'll be listening. Listening, but we might. Okay, most, most people listening. Visual. Okay, I'll do the best I can, okay? But okay. if people like, if you, if you see like a cross section of the small intestine, okay, the small intestine is like a tube, okay, yeah. for people listening, okay? And then you've got the villi, okay? And so the, the gastrointestinal tract, okay, and these epithelium, these mucosal cells, okay, that is the most protective physical barrier in the human body. Yeah, outright. Okay, so these epithelium, you also get in areas like your lungs. Okay, you got epithelium the top of the gallbladder. Okay, you've actually got epithelium within the blood-brain barrier as well. Okay, I'd say yes, the blood-brain barrier is a barrier, but it pales in comparison to the epithelium within the uh, lungs and the gastrointestinal tract. Okay, so the villi is a little bit like a, a seed enemy, a little bit like a tentacle. Yeah. Okay, it's probably you know Jake says okay man. Hold on, we've just Wait. got a tech issue here. Dave's just cut out. Pause. Oh, you there? You're back. He's back. He's back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just <laughs> lost, lost you at the uh, epithelium. You're you're about to go. You're the villi, the villi yeah. Like yeah. yeah, yeah. Someone didn't like what I was talking about. Okay. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like Jake Doshu would say, basically, imagine like looking at your fingers. Okay, yep. and then your fingers would be like the villi, yeah, okay? And then you've got all these different types of epithelium that line the rim of the villi, basically, okay? Uh, and, you know, some of the, if, if we use the example of the small intestine, so some of these epithelium within the small intestine, I'll, I'll try not to go into too much detail with them, okay, but you've got like enterocytes, you've got enteric endocrine cells, they're producing like enteric hormones, people are going to go, what are enteric hormones? They're gut hormones, basically, Okay. Uh, then you've got like goblet cells and goblet cells help with things like secretory IgA, okay. Uh, also help with like mucin. Mucin is like, a, you know, a protective barrier for the gut lining, like lubrication for the gut lining, okay. Helps to trap in like pathogens and microorganisms, okay. So there's some of the major like epithelium within the small intestine. The two that I've obviously, you know, I put a high focus on, okay. So one, if you go right towards the base of your finger, okay, uh, and you've got like what's called the base of the intestinal crypt, basically, okay? So these epithelium right down the base, they're protected there. So they're not really getting, getting bombarded by, you know, foreign material and food antigens and all that type of stuff. So, because they want to be protected, okay? Because they've got really, really important, um, you know, roles or really important jobs, okay? Now, one, okay, located down the side or the base of the intestinal crypt is called ISCs. They're called intestinal stem cells, okay? or they're a progenitor cell. Now there's all these different types of progenitor cells, okay? Now progenitor, you've got actually progenitor cells within the lungs. The major type of progenitor cell within the lungs, okay, is called basal cells, basically, okay? And they actually help to replenish and rejuvenate, okay, the other epithelium within the airways. Cubital cells, squamous cells, goblet cells, there's some of them, yeah, okay? Uh, we probably come back to the ISCs or the intestinal stem cells, okay? So the way to look at it, one intestinal stem cell will repair an entire patch of the epithelial lining within about seven days. So when people say like rapid renewal, okay, and a lot of a lot of people say that you know maybe the gut lining can replenish, rejuvenate itself, okay, within about three to four days, five to ten days. Um, based on what I've read, okay, it's roughly around about seven days, okay, and that's really coming down to the intestinal stem cells. That's their job, okay, but they do work in conjunction with panacels. 
Okay, so the way it works is the panis cells are really dependent on the intestinal stem cells and the intestinal stem cells are really dependent on the panis cells. And that's a loop. Most of the time we're getting stuck in all these loops. Okay, uh, and I would generally say that we've got to close off the loops to really make inroads into the issues that you've got. Yeah, okay. So the panis cells, okay, which is a type of epithelium, okay, are located right at the base of the intestinal crypt. Okay, so if you're looking at your finger, you're looking at the crevice of your finger, Okay, the panis cell is located right where the crevice of the finger is. Okay, once again, protected there. Okay, so panis cells, okay, have a really important job. Okay, so they actually help with this secretion, so the release, okay, of AMPs. They're called antimicrobial peptides. Okay, so this is your gastrointestinal tract's natural defense mechanism to keep in check pathogens that also includes things like uh, parasitic infection, so protozoa parasites, okay, candida and yeast, okay, even negative gram bacteria strains. I might use some examples uh, around this, okay, but also viruses, mm. okay. Like, interesting enough, there's an antimicrobial peptide. I've sort of been pretty vocal about this, okay. It's called human aid defense in alpha six, okay. So, the I know, I know they're quite long words, and people are going to go, Oh my god, what is this guy talking about, okay. But human aid defense in alpha six, okay, prevents viral entry. Mm. Okay, so what it actually does, it actually protects you against things like coronavirus, COVID. There we go. Mm. Okay, so when you actually, it's ironic, okay, because when you actually, we do know that COVID, uh, I'm, a, I'm a, all good to speak about COVID. You can speak about whatever you want. Consciousness. Yeah, but we do know that COVID actually impacts the intestines. We do know that, okay. Uh, and there's certain types of epithelium that are actually more negatively impacted, okay, when it comes to COVID than others. Okay, you so one is enterocytes. Pulling, viral pulling as well with COVID, can't you, in the gut, correct? Yes. Yeah. I mean, like, like obviously, like, you know, people talk about, like, the clearance of the spike protein and all that type of stuff. And you could obviously listen to people like Dr. Pete McCullough, okay, uh, and he talks about things like natokinase, okay, which you derive from, like, natto, which is, like, fermented soy. Okay, it's, it, it's a biofilm disruptor, and he talks about things like curcumin and bromelain, okay, to actually help with the clearance of the spike protein, okay. But, which I, I don't disagree with any of those things, okay, but, you know, ironically, okay, you could actually say that something like curcumin, okay, actually, curcumin has actually been documented, you know, I'm huge on curcumin, yeah, okay. Like, I know a lot of, like, you know, people, I just want to put this out there, okay, like, people talk, you know, obviously, I'm big on peptides, okay. Uh, and people talk about like peptides being the game changer, okay, when it comes to the gut lining, okay, like BPC-157 and, you know, GHKCU and it might be thymosin beta-4. It's pretty good around like progenitor cells, okay. They actually showed that uh, thymosin beta-4, which is the most frequent thymus in the body, it's like 43 amino acids, is actually quite prevalent. Yes, you get in platelets and white blood cells, but it's actually quite prevalent within the intestinal epithelium. And actually, when they knocked out the um, thymosin beta-4 out of the intestinal epithelium, it actually impeded on things like cell cycling and cell proliferation, all that type of stuff. Yeah, right. okay. So I'm not disputing, okay, like, you know, uh, peptides, okay, uh, are huge around our ability to rejuvenate, replenish the gut line, okay. But for me, okay, you just can't go past, like, certain compounds like curcumin, quercetin, boswellia, okay. They're sort of like – then. I think a lot of the time in the biohacking realms and all that type of stuff, it's like shiny object syndrome, okay? 
where it might be some sort of like fungus that grows at uh, you know at the top of the tibetan you know mountains okay <laughs> and it you know it plays on this these particular pathways and it's not sa me saying that some of these compounds okay don't have benefits yeah okay but a lot of time okay you just can't go past like you know i'm a bit more of a meat and potato man okay yeah, yeah. just can't go past that okay um and people need to understand that actually some of the most impactful compounds for actually helping the gut lining are some of the most researched as well surprise surprisingly yeah. okay and they are three of the most at maybe boswell not as much as like curcumin and quercetin okay but curcumin and boswell um curcumin and quercetin extremely well researched okay and so beneficial okay you know for the gut lining okay but you know, curcumin right, actually does. In there, Dave, like because yeah. that was something that I I noticed on one of your posts the other day with sodium butyrate, which is probably one of the one of the most kind of documented um, compounds, like for leaky gut, like saying it's the best. You know, like you know, and this is a I think it was a research paper that that didn't have BPC one five seven in it. Some of those peptides, mm. but it had sodium butyrate. You know, this is the number one. I saw one of your posts in your story saying, you know, any sort of um, you know, with ulcerative colitis and TNF alpha issues and, and, and those sort of things, which are going to be driven from like gram negative bacteria issues and things like that. Correct. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, um, that, you know, it could impede that and, 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 um, you know, obviously make it worse. So I'd love for you to kind of go into kind of like the, uh, the, the way up between sodium butyrate and then maybe the combination of quercetin, and curcumin and boswellia. And, and I think that'd be a nice segue. Yeah. I mean, it's, the, the the thing like obviously i am if one thing i want to say it's not me saying that there's no benefits to butyric acid and butyrate like i like hopefully i, th I think sometimes people and i know you guys wouldn't have like okay? i think people can mis misconstrued what i'm saying within the story or within the post yeah okay for me there's a little bit of gray that's that's the thing yeah okay and, and what i would have been talking about like jordan within that uh probably that story that you would have seen okay and it's not me saying that this is conclusive. This is just a study, okay? But when I look at these things and I go, oh, God, there's a bit of gray there and you don't know, okay? I can't put something like tributyrin or buric acid or butyrate. I can't put it in the realms of that's going to be really beneficial for everyone. Yeah. Mm. It's it's sort of like it's, it's a it depends scenario, okay? So within that study, okay, and there can be – the one thing is, Jordan, is there can be like limitations within the research itself. Okay, so that's why a lot of time I can't say, well, it doesn't mean it's conclusive. Okay, and it can be quite conflicting. And I hopefully, okay, I do this where I actually put up some other research papers, okay, around things like Crohn's. Okay, obviously that's an IBD condition. Okay, but one thing I say with things like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, okay, those conditions, okay, they're characterized by excessive epithelial cell death. That's what you have, okay? They actually say that people with Crohn's, okay, that their panacells are basically no longer working, mm. okay? So ultimately, it's really coming down to what? Like the panacells and the, the intestinal stem cells and the ISCs and the progenocells, okay? But in this study, okay, that you were talking about, Jordan, okay, they looked at the effects of uh, the treatment of like uh, a butyrate, Okay, so butyrate treatment, okay, of primary intestinal, okay, epithelial monolayers, okay, of individuals with ulcerated class, okay, like IBD condition, okay. Now, what they found in this, and once again, I'm not saying this is conclusive, okay, that the cultures that were treated with the butyrate, okay, were found 
to be detrimental winning combination with TNF Alpha, IFNY, and you're 100% correct, okay, Jordan, in terms of if you've got like negative gram back to an LPS, definitely those pro-inflammatory proteins, okay, they're more raised, and that's why those pro-inflammatory proteins can actually create some issues around the IDO enzyme, the IDO enzyme, okay, which that's not all bad, it's present in your macrophages, okay, but a raise in the IDO enzyme, okay, can degrade L-tryptophan, okay, the L-tryptophan gets co converted to 5-HTP, 5-hydroxy-L-tryptophan, it gets converted to serotonin, serotonin, melatonin. That's why people with LPS exposure can actually display depressive-like behavior, neurological issues, okay? So they actually found that there was a detrimental combination there, okay? Now, also, they actually found, but bear in mind, okay, in this, the, 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 the issue can be that they're doing it within cultures. Yes. Yeah. So I just want to make that clear. So that's why I can't say it's like definitive, Okay, so butyrate was also found in this instance, okay, not to protect against inflammation induced barrier dysfunction. Okay, now it even worsened its effects, okay, in the epithelial monolayers, okay, of ulcerated colitis individuals. Okay, but this is where it got even a little bit murkier for me. That was also found in the control groups. Okay. That didn't actually even have the ulcerated colitis. Okay, now also, okay, uh, I don't know if I put up any information around this, okay? They actually had, and this was actually based on the short-chain fatty acids, okay, yep. that you get from um, the interaction, okay, with like indigestible matter, fodder, or food for the microbiome, uh, high fermentable food, okay? Obviously, certain bacterial strains come along, they uh, feed on that indigestible matter, and then they produce the short-chain fatty acids, like butyrate, acetate, propionate, okay? Now, higher levels of butyrate in this instance, Okay, so if there was lower concentrations, okay, that was actually shown to be beneficial around intestinal barrier dysfunction. Okay. But higher concentrations were actually shown to be detrimental. Okay. So where this gets murky, okay, is, okay, what is the concentration? Yeah. Okay, and so also which form of butyrate or butyric acid, okay, could be more problematic. I'm not going to give you a definitive answer, okay, because even when they did, okay, they did testing around like Crohn's, okay, and it was this very small sample size, I will say that. It wasn't a huge amount of like participants and like individuals. They actually showed that 53% of these people, okay, had remission of Crohn's using the uh, the butyric acid or the butyrate, okay, and bear in mind most of the time that's based on sodium butyrate, okay. Um, it's a little bit harder, Jordan, to answer your question, to actually find a huge amount of literature. There is some literature around tributyrin, okay? Uh, most of the time they do it on like oral sodium butyrate, okay? Um, and you understand that they, that, that something like a sodium butyrate is a slow release all the way to the colon, okay? And 100% is released when it's dissolved, okay? So that's gonna be a little bit something, uh, a little bit different to something like a tributyrin, okay? But basically the, 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 basically the buric acid, okay, is attached to a glycerol, okay? So it's all to do with like tags, okay, which is uh, uh, trichoglycerides, basically, okay? Um, but there can be sometimes a bit of a, a competition issue here, okay, because basically, okay, it requires lipase to release the butyrate, yep. okay? Sometimes it can be a competition with tributyrin and other tags, okay, for the lipase, so that might be a bit of an issue, okay? But... I guess the premises, okay, is that they say the uptake, okay, is going to be a lot better. Now, the thing is, okay, if what's the concentration? 
like how do you know you're getting that right okay like and that, so i know it's murky because there's there's literature to say that tributyrin and butyric acid can be beneficial around you know uh you know ulcerated colitis and crohn's but then there's some literature to say that it can be detrimental and so how it works i know i know it's just like a lot of murkiness there okay but how it works for me is that i look at it and when there's a lot of gray it's not going to be it's it's not going to be the compound that i'm going to probably go first for mm. yeah okay and then you actually you can actually find some literature where they they say that potentially and i'm just saying potentially here okay and this is probably to do with the high concentrations okay that it can um, actually impede okay it's called the wnt protein or the wnt pathway okay now the panacells are really important around this okay and the role of the wnt protein and the wnt pathway is to actually help with the integrity of intestinal stem cells or progenitor cells or ics that's why that's why the intestinal stem cells are so dependent on the panacells okay so if there's a bit of an issue there okay if someone has uh, ISC issues, they have like uh, Panacell issues, okay, uh, if they have like IBD conditions, okay, is that, is that going to be one of the compounds that I'm going to first go for? Probably not, okay, because there's a bit of grey. Now, we might find out, I just want to make this clear, we might find out in a year's time, two years' time, that I was making a mountain out of a molehill, <laughs> okay, and maybe like and, and maybe like tributyrin or butyric acid might be amazing around that. Okay, but when I've got a bit of grey and I know there's other compounds that are extremely effective around things like intestinal stem cells and panacea cells. Okay, you know, for example, uh, with intestinal stem cells. Okay, you know, GHKCU, copper peptide. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, thymosin beta four, which is a synthetic source of TB five hundred. Okay. Uh, anything that helps with like metaphagy. So uh, metaphagy is like autophagy, like cell cycling. Yeah, okay. Uh, and that would be uh, some best compounds around that curcumin. Yeah. Okay. Uh, astaxanthin. I don't love it in a supplemental form. I tend to like people to get it from like food. Okay. You know, foods that are really high in astaxanthin, it's a very powerful phytonutrient. Okay. Um, would be like pink crustaceans. Okay, so things like crab and lobster and crayfish and shrimp and prawns, okay, school prawns, okay. Wild like, salmon as well, correct? Yes, correct. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay, I don't know I don't know which uh, is actually classified as being the highest. I think some people say like wild salmon, okay, because obviously the colour, okay, mm. I think it's pretty rich in like astaxanthin, okay. But I'm not sure about it as a in supplemental form. I don't tend to use it, okay. Uh, but it's definitely got benefits around like metaphagy and that means it's got – so anything that helps with metaphagy, okay, helps to protect intestinal stem cells from metabolic stress damage, basically. Okay. Now even spermidine, okay, spermidine is really good around that. You derive it from like wheat germ, okay, spermidine. I think actually, because everyone talks about, you know, these compounds that actually obviously help with like testosterone and all that type of stuff. And yeah. a lot of people go like gangbusters for like Tonkat Ali and uh, I'm, I'm not one of those people, okay? That's just my opinion, okay? I think there's a lot better compounds around like testosterone, okay? I actually do think spermidine is actually one of the better ones, okay? For men under 50, okay, um, spermidine was actually shown to increase like sp um, uh, testosterone levels by about 49.8%, wow. okay? Now, cool. unfortunately for men over 50, okay, it actually lowered testosterone levels, okay? So, you know, based on the literature, I, I would 
definitely say it would have to be like men under 50, okay, that are going to benefit from that, okay. What's but it's really good around. Action for, for spermidine, like does it work on the HPA axis or is it more Latex cell? Yeah, it, it, it does, it, well, it's also got you, I'm not going to say it's like an adaptogen, okay, but it does actually have some huge benefits in like stress management as well. You can actually find some literature around that, okay. Uh, it's not like tocesterone, like tocesterone, which is like ectodysteroid, okay, it's, it's more of an adaptogen. The issue around something like tocesterone, okay, is that people look at the literature and they go, oh, it's not really that great around testosterone, which I agree with. It's not great around testosterone because it's more of an adaptogen, okay? And one of the things that's, that is really going to interfere with like testosterone, okay, is going to be stress. Okay, and so that's where you're getting the benefits because tocesterone actually helps to, you know, restore the vitamin C stores within your adrenal glands because the highest amount of like vitamin C stores actually within your adrenal glands, okay, and also it's a bit of a modulator, you know, for cholesterol, okay, and obviously, you know, uh, cholesterol, okay, is the building block that you need for steroidal hormones, and obviously that's what testosterone is, is a steroidal hormone, yeah, okay. Um, but you know, spermidine, because so, so many people do actually have like gastrointestinal issues, okay, you know, spermidine, okay, is really good around the intracellular tight junctions, okay, so it's really good for the structure of the gut lining, okay, uh, and you know, a lot of the time, okay, when it comes to like uh, testosterone, okay, is that where people a lot of the time are going wrong, okay, is they're not addressing what's going on within the gastrointestinal tract, okay, like there's certain bacterial strains, we know this, and it can be hard to isolate these particular bacterial strains, like Doria, uh, you know, Rhymnococcus, Megamonas, Syntobacter, okay, you need those bacterial strains for testosterone, okay, and also if you've got like uh, negative gram bacteria issues and like LPS issues, okay, uh, LPS actually increases these uh, tolite receptors, tolite receptor four within the within the liver, so it's to do with like inflammation of the liver, okay, and then you increase the innate immune response, okay, uh, you increase things like uh, mediators like cytokines and so forth, okay, but this actually creates cell death in the Leydig cells in your testicles, okay, so basically what it's creating is like testicular damage, okay. How are you going to really improve like your, you know, your, your, your testosterone levels, okay, if you're not helping with things like the endobolum. The endobolum is a collective of bacteria. It's quite a new concept. There's not a lot of data around that, so I'd actually uh, agree with that. Uh, so it can be a little bit murky, okay? But like the endobolum actually helps with your ability to metabolize EDCs, like endocrine disrupting chemicals, okay? Which is gonna be a big factor to why you've got issues around like testosterone levels and all that type of stuff. Yeah, okay, so we're going on a bit of a tangent here, but that's, that's all good, oh, okay? Oh, oh, we're still on the structure of the gut, though. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. But, like, my big point with spermidine, okay, I'm going to look at it and go, well, spermidine is going to cover a lot of bases here. Mm, yep. It's not me saying it's better than Tonkat Ali, okay? I'm just saying, like, maybe at a particular other, like, a, another stage, Tonkat Ali might be more beneficial for this particular individual. Yeah, timing everything, yeah. right? Like, if someone's got gut permeability, a gram-negative bacterial overgrowth, and you want to do a repair phase, but they've also got low T, you know, in the start of their protocol. You well, well if, I, if, I, if I'm looking and I, I'm, I'm picking up some issues, okay, within the bloods, okay, I mean, this is going down the rabbit hole for sure, okay, but if I'm picking up some, you know, damage to intestinal stem cells and in the medical realms, have you, ever, have you guys ever heard of like fistulas before? I haven't. So fistulas is but like in layman's terms, okay, fistulas, so a lot of people with Crohn's, Okay, Are you talking about like anal fissures or, or, or? No, not, not, not anal fissures, okay, like fistulas. Okay, oh, so fistulas, what, what it is, okay, is when you've got like a leakage in, in like in a, in a particular area in the gastrointestinal tract, let's say like the stomach lining, okay, then you've got a leakage, okay, and that's, and that's um, basically going to other, 
okay, organs within the body, in a nutshell. Okay, there's a lot more to it than that, okay? But in the medical realms, okay, if they're trying to pick up fistulas, because obviously that can be a strong indication of something like Crohn's, for example, okay, which obviously IBD condition. Now, once again, for me, okay, your panic cells, they're just, that's it. Your panic cells are just like bottomed out, okay, and you're definitely going to have uh, issues with the intestinal stem cells or the ICs or the progenitor cells, for sure, okay. But if they're looking for like fistulas, okay, within your bloods, okay, there's certain markers that they use as an indication of like fistulas, okay. So, for example, like ESR, which is a erythrocyte sedimentation rate, okay, that's the rate at which your red blood cells sediment within a given hour, okay, and they're using that maybe as a bit of an indication of like two or more immunoglobins being like elevated, okay. Uh, it's an indication around the fibrinogens, this like inflammation. Okay, it can be a sign that you're, you know, that basically, um, when your, your red blood cells are basically sticking and clumping together, it's a sign of like inflammation. It forms a thing called roulette. Okay, but the ESR in this instance, okay, um, you know, in the medical realms, a lot of time they just use ESRs like a sort of indication of like uh, autoimmune sort of like indicator. Okay, like maybe something like uh, it could be like arthritis, osteoarthritis, okay, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, okay. But also elevation ESR can be like mycobacterial, can be bacterial, can be fungal. So a lot of time it can be like co-infection, a lot of co-infection, okay, when it's quite elevated, okay. So the ESR is actually elevated, okay, uh, sonophils, okay, which uh, people say pro-inflammatory white blood cell. I don't really like that terminology, okay. But the, high, the, the, the highest amount of a sonophil is actually within the lamina propria, okay, so that's actually within the mucosa, within the gut lining, okay. So we're talking about things like gut-associated lymphoid tissue, GALT, okay, where 70% of your entire immune system is located. So a lot of people don't realize that, like a lot of sonophils are actually within the lamina propria, okay. So if you've got someone who's got like really lower sonophils, like 0.0, okay, should be sitting, you know, 0 0.1, 0 0.3, okay, and there's, you know, elevation in the ESR. So in the medical realms, they would use some of these markers as an indication of fistulas, okay. Now, if you've got fistulas, 100% you're going to have damage to intestinal stem cells and panic cells. You, yeah. I mean, it's just, you, you have to, yeah, okay. So then I can sort of like pick up, okay, and there's other markers as well, but I'll try not to go too far down that rabbit hole, yeah, okay. But then I can pick up, there's uh, that type of damage taking place, okay. And then for me, okay, now I know what type of compounds are going to be a little bit more beneficial around this, okay. Like even like, you know, intestinal stem cells, yeah, okay, um, you know, nicotinamide riboside, which is like NR, okay, can be pretty beneficial around that. I know a lot of the studies that I quote, you know, their animal studies and their rat and mice studies, okay, but they always have to start with animal studies, yeah, okay. Uh, and then after that, yeah, okay, the studies have to be further funded. A lot of the time they're not, unfortunately, okay. But they actually did um, uh, research around like uh, giving rats and mice, okay, nicotinamide riboside, okay. Uh, I'm a lot bigger on nicotinamide riboside than like NMN, okay, which is nicotinamide mononucleotide, okay. So a lot of people can have the conversion, uh, some conversion issues where that obviously the NMN has to get converted to the nicotinamide riboside and gets converted back, okay. So a lot of people can have issues with the conversion, so I prefer the nicotinamide riboside, okay. Um, but they actually gave rats and mice, okay, like uh, a water that actually had the nicotinamide riboside in it, okay. And for like older rats and mice, we do know that older rats and mice, when they compared it to younger rats and mice, okay, produce considerably less tissue-like structure, okay, than um, from the intestinal stem cells, okay, than the younger rats and mice. Oh. 
Okay, so they actually showed that nicotinamide I think from memory, actually got the uh, intestinal stem cells up to about 75%. It's a big increase. Yeah. Okay, even when they gave like uh, uh, these rats and mice like a compound that actually induces like colitis. Okay, so we're talking about like autoimmune. Okay, so, you know, getting towards like ulcerative colitis. Yeah, okay. That, uh, that by giving them the nicotinamide riboside in the water, okay, what it did, it actually... Uh, minimize the amount of mucosal damage and actually minimize the amount of inflammation. Okay. Now that's not me saying, okay, that nicotinamide riboside, that everyone should be going out and just like chugging down like nicotinamide riboside. Okay. I'm just saying that in that instance, okay, these individuals are probably going to see, um, you know, more benefits in a compound like that. Okay. You know, and in relation to what we were talking about, then maybe something like a buric acid or, a, you know, sodium butyrate or a tributyrin. And it's not me saying, once again, it's not me saying that that means, um, you know, GHK and thymus and beta-4 are better, okay? But ultimately for that person, they are better, yeah. okay, in that, in, in that moment in time. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. So does, what, you know, like, what about BPC-157? Is, is, does this have a, a, like, is this also working through similar mechanisms of action in terms of the, the panacells, uh, the stem cells? I mean, it's going to, like, I, so, so once again, like, I think people hear me talk about this and then they, they're thinking that I'm saying that BPC would have no benefits around that. Okay? Yeah. And that's not what I'm saying. You're trying to say what's okay? like, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, like, because some people think then that, like, something like BPC, you know, uh, 157 is going to be, I mean, obviously, you know, the one thing I want to say with, like, peptides for people who don't know, but I'm sure your audience already know this, okay, is that especially in Australia, probably not so much in other countries around the world, okay, but, like, peptides just a dirty word. Yeah. Okay, you just say like peptides and people go, oh my God, like some guy sitting in his backyard, he's making some sort of like chemical soup, yeah, okay, uh, or they're anabolics or something like that. And they're just chains of amino acids, yeah, okay. We produce these peptides, okay, we know that, okay. Like even something like GHK, CU, which obviously I'm a huge fan of because it's one of my favorite peptides, yeah, okay, um, is that we we produce GHK and it's at its peak within the human body by about the age of like 25 years or younger. Okay. So as you get, that's why aging does not bode well for intestinal stem cells. Because obviously with GHK, we're talking about tissue repair, you know, following injury, okay, like GHK, okay, is actually positively switches on the P63 gene or the P63 protein, okay, which actually helps with layers of epithelial cells. Okay, it switches on um, uh, genes that actually help with like DNA repair. Okay, like you could say, in, like in a nutshell, that like, GHK is like stem cell therapy, basically. Okay, but once you start to age, your ability to produce GHK diminishes. That makes sense. Okay, now BPC derives from human gastric juices. Okay, uh, it's made up of fifteen amino acids. So once again, don't be petrified of it. Okay, it's just chains of amino acids. Okay, and the efficacy and the safety of these things is really high. Okay, and then the argument that people use is they go, oh, it's like, you know, rat and mice studies, okay. Um, but bear in mind, okay, you know, certain things like pharmaceuticals have been based on one rat and mouse study, okay, where they did it on eight mice, but that's okay, that research, okay. And then we've got like all these rat and mice studies for like BPC-157. Oh, but we're not sure about the efficacy and the safety. Yeah. And, and, and people just need to understand, okay, like how many people have died from like something like BPC-157? None, okay. How many adverse reactions are documented? Okay, I'm not talking about speculative, like based on just like um, things like angiogenesis and the formation of blood vessels, and that might be problematic around K 
cancer or something like that yeah okay that that's speculative okay that's not that's not actually proven in literature okay so uh, if you compare that to something like, you know, NSAIDs like ibuprofen and aspirin, okay, but I'm more, more talking about ibuprofen here, potentially when it comes to adverse reactions and overdose, okay, up to, up to, yeah, okay, about 16,500 people per year in the US can have adverse reaction overdose, okay, but you can, you can just buy that from a 7-Eleven, yeah. yeah, okay, but let's, you know, like a BPC is like, you know, really bad, yeah, okay? But BPC is very good around the blood-brain barrier, okay? It's very good for like tendons and ligaments and cartilage, okay? The one thing I'll say with BPC, Jordan, is that how it, you know, how it should be administered, okay, is that BPC is gonna work better when you administer it, okay, uh, point of pain or where you've got the issue. Yeah. Okay, so if you got had an issue in the AC joint or something like that, okay, it's gonna be better to administer the BPC, okay? Um, Injectable, yeah, okay. If you've got like an issue in the blood brain barrier, okay, then you potentially would say like a nasal administration is going to be better. If it's more like gastrointestinal, that's where you probably say, but it, it, it does have the benefits to the still like even having an oral, okay. And bear in mind, okay, and I know you've had Kyle on the podcast recently and he'll be talking about the, you know, the quality and the form, okay, and it has to be like an arginate salt, yeah, okay. That's where it's got about a 90 to 97% like bioavailability, okay. Uh, and a lot of time they're not using that form. Yeah. Okay. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, it has, it definitely has to be that form. Okay. To have that benefit within the gastrointestinal tract. And so, yes, I could say that there might be a little bit more benefits around like if there's excessive like parasail activity and hyperpermeability. Okay. But people should not get it wrong. Okay. That doesn't mean that BPC doesn't have uh, benefits to what I'm talking about, like the intestinal stem cells and the panic cells, because it definitely has benefits to the actual epithelium itself. Yeah. Does that make, I just want to make that clear. Okay. But I'm just saying that there might be other compounds. Okay. Just based on some of the literature and so forth, like bear in mind, like GHK, they did research around GHK with uh, things like COPD, lung disease, emphysema, asthma. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, uh, GHK might help with the basal cells within the lungs, okay, well, that's a progenitor cell, yeah. okay, and it's helping the replenishment and the rejuvenation, okay, of the other epithelium within the airways, okay. Now, do you think there's a good chance it's probably going to do that within the gastrointestinal tract as well? Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, for me, how, how I look at it, I just go, well, potentially for this individual, okay, GHK, okay, like maybe further down the line, Jordan, okay, like BPC is – still going to be like extremely beneficial okay but for this individual like, yeah well i'm not like the thing is like you when it comes to like a lot of people generally say that you know like okay like a ghk or bpc okay they sort of work on like you know different mechanisms yeah. and similar benefits as well yeah well, okay. acetate's another one as well isn't it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, laricide acetate, okay, is, like, obviously made it the furthest in clinical trials to, you know, treat, like, you know, celiac disease, okay. One thing I want to clear up with that, okay, because a lot of people go, yeah, but it only made it, you know, so far with the clinical trials and they and then they stopped it, okay. Well, they didn't stop it because it wasn't effective, okay. They So, they stopped it because no one would further fund the research. I just want to clear that up, yeah, okay. Like, people don't look into that and they go, oh, wasn't that effective? I go, no, no, it was effective. They just stopped they stopped the trials because no one would further fund the research. Yeah. Okay. So, but then people say like, there's definitely certain peptides that can complement each other very well. 
Okay, like rule of thumb, you might say like GHKCU works pretty well in conjunction with like TA1, which is thymus and alpha 1. Okay. Um, or you might say that uh, like a BPC157 is going to work pretty well in conjunction with a uh, thymus and beta 4 or a TB500. Okay, they both work on things like angiogenesis and they use, uh, you know, thymus and beta 4 to help with like sacropenia and all that type of stuff. Yeah, okay. But I do like thymus and beta 4 uh, around helping with like cardiovascular health. Okay. Um, actually helps to activate a thing called survival kinase AKT, okay, which actually helps with like heart muscle cells and, okay, it's really good for, like following like ischemic stroke or stroke or heart attack, okay. So anyone out there who's had like uh, myocarditis, pericarditis or <laughs> anything like that, okay, you know, thymus and beta-4 is like really good around that. I do like uh, GHK, okay, because it's uh, really good around inflammation. That's the thing like with GHK. If you've got more inflammation taking place in the body, Okay, um, it actually helps to suppress things like interleukin-6. Not me saying interleukin-6 is all bad. Yeah, okay, it's not. Okay, you produce more interleukin-6 when you train. Yeah, okay, uh, but it also inhibits the synthesis of vibrinogen, okay, which is a glycoprotein from the liver, okay, that's involved in things like CRP, C-reactive protein. CRP is signaled by interleukin-6. SAA, serum amyloid alpha. Okay, so GHK is really good around like inflammation. Okay, so you could say, I know I've taken a long time to get to the answer. Yeah, okay. But you could say, even though I would look at it and say, well, they might not sort of support each other that well. Okay, you could definitely take them both at the same time. Yeah. Mm. And okay. That maybe maybe the timing, maybe that's up for debate and maybe cycling as well. Yeah, okay. Like you, I, I do tend to find that, you know, potentially something like a GHK orally, you might be able to take it for, because most of the time you're taking a, a sort of lower dose, okay, to what you'd be doing like injectable, like bear in mind, you know, for certain, for certain ailments like cancer and all that type of stuff. Yeah, okay. You know, uh, GHK is huge benefits around that because obviously we're talking about stem cell therapy and all that type of stuff. But people taking extremely high dosages around that, like from an injectable perspective. Okay. People worry about things like copper toxicity and all that type of stuff. But you'd literally be having to, t having to take like, you know, 100 milligrams, 150 milligrams to get like copper toxicity. And then, t and people, you know, concerned about like, you know, uh, like a lethal dosage or something like that okay but to put in perspective okay uh if you were to have like something like fentanyl yeah okay uh which is obviously approved by the fda i'm sure you guys know that okay you know fentanyl if you had two milligrams of fentanyl that's it you're dead yeah mm -hmm. okay uh you would have to have 25 grams of uh ghk to have a lethal dose now for people who don't know, like 25 grams of like GHK, you'd have to be like swimming in a pool of GHK and you, you, it just, you just, it's going in your mouth. You've got like an IV going in, okay, to, to really have like a lethal dose. Yeah, okay. So, you know, the safety, the efficacy is like, uh, you know, it's, it's far exceeds like, you know, pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Okay, far exceeds. Okay, like to be honest, it's not even close. Yeah, okay. So, um, so a lot of time, yes, even though they might not be sort of like doing the direct same things and th there can be some similarities, as I said, okay, am I against someone taking like a, you know, a GHK and a, and a BPC together? I mean, I actually, uh, unfortunately, like recently I tore my infraspinatus, which is obviously a rotator cuff muscle, okay, uh, so really important for the sh shoulder girdle and all that type of stuff. But I initially started taking like BPC and uh, like I'm going to be honest, it, and it's not me saying BPC is not beneficial. I'm just saying that instance just didn't really do anything. Yeah. Okay. And I still had like really bad discomfort. And most of the time with a uh, rotator cuff 
tear you're looking at like three six months or something like that okay and i just go i'm just going to chuck ghk in there as well okay when i actually was taking both at the same time it's hard to quantify which one's you know more effective in, in it's just too hard yeah okay uh, it's all just all antidotal as well yeah okay um but within two days okay my rotator cuff was like 95 percent better oral or injectable uh that was just oral oh okay. shit. wow and i know there's a lot of debate yeah okay i want to clear this up and i just say there's once again you know how we're talking about a butyric acid and butyrate there's a lot of debate around like ghk like powdered form yeah okay once again i just ask people to show me the research show me the literature i'm just i'm data driven okay yes there was some information around uh, uh, like liposomal having a like liposome a liposome form okay but once again that does not talk about the bioavailability okay it doesn't say what the bioavailability is okay you can actually find like you know a study based on uh, tripeptides okay and this is not me saying conclusive okay and it was just based on like uh, collagen okay uh and that was based on glycine and two other amino acids and that's essentially what ghk is yeah okay um it's uh l-histidine l-lysine l-glycine yeah okay um you can so find some literature where they sort of question around uh carboxypeptidase but bear in mind it was like a research paper in like 1972 something mm -hmm. like that yeah okay um and sometimes it can be due to do with like particle size and daltons okay like you look at something like natokinase okay which is actually uptaken you know very well within the gastrointestinal tract okay and they you know say like some like you know ghkcu okay is like 400 daltons yeah okay so this is and it's not me saying that okay that ghk there's not some issues there okay with um you know uptake okay like you know uh bypassing the human gastric juices and the stomach acid and uh, proteolytic enzymes okay but from what i've read okay there's no conclusive research around the bioavailability. We don't know what the difference is between a liposome form, okay, and the powder form. We don't know. Like, I can't, like, once again, someone has the research. I always love to be proven wrong, okay, but like, I can only look at the research that I'm seeing and there's no, there's nothing stating what the bioavailability is. Yeah, yeah okay, we, we just don't know, okay, because even in those research papers when they t talk about a liposome form, they, they just say a liposome form may be better, okay? But they don't talk about the bioavailability, yeah, okay? Uh, but who knows? In a year's time, two years' time, we go, oh, okay, the liposome form is 99% bioavailability, yeah, okay? And as yeah. I said, we might find butyric acid and butyrate, everything I've talked about, okay? Like I made a mountain out of molehill. But you know what? I'm happy with like being proven wrong. And I'm happy with going, okay, well, yeah, like, I probably should have been using you know tributyrin okay like back back in the back in those times okay but if i can uh, if i know that there's other things okay where there's you know um they, they're achieving like similar things and they've got like you know similar benefits okay and i think there's a bit of gray then i'm yeah. probably gonna I, I, you know i'm trying to get out of that realms where it might be harmful for one person okay it might be beneficial okay i don't know which way it's going to sit well you know what i'm going to go for this thing because i know where that's going to sit yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. and if yeah. I, if i wheel back around like one like one of the things that i've taken out of this like sort of segment is that um if we're looking at the gut and the damage to the gut there's different types of damage there's different types of damage to different cells and certain cells that have function that repair other cells now we need to make sure that um we're choosing the right compounds 
they're going to fit, oh, yeah, repair each dysfunction. So, and what you're coming up with, you're saying like the big one is, you know, the progenitor cells, the panacea cells, because they're going to be the messages to repair the other big patches. So, we target those with the GHK and the, what's the other pep? Th- oh, the thymus. Thymus, yeah, thymus. Thymus, four, yeah, thymus and beta-4, like, which is synthetic source of TB500. Yeah, but that, okay. that doesn't mean we don't still look after the paracellular and the transcellular leaky gut as well when it's needed. Yeah. Ex- exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And, like, I, look, I would say why why am I putting such a big emphasis on, like, you know, intestinal stem cells and panacea cells? Because I would say, like, at the very least, if you started there, you're going to have a bigger sort of cascade effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, in the body, yeah, okay. I mean, you know, like what I was talking about with the panacells, okay, like, and we were, I, I think I started and we, we went all, yeah, yeah, all yeah, these we different directions, okay. That's all right. <laughs> where, where what I said that, that like, so the panacells, okay, they actually express, okay, um, they call it a peptide, but it's really a hormone, okay. And I put a lot of information around this. It's called the PYY peptide or peptide YY, yeah, okay. That. Now, it's the, the PYY peptide, for people who don't know, they actually uh, did research where they actually showed that mice lacking the PYY peptide were a lot more prone to like obesity and weight gain, okay? Uh, probably a different conversation, okay? Um, but they, the PYY peptide is selectively antifungal. So it's job. Okay, so you remember I said you got the two major groups, okay? So you got the commensal and you got the virulent forms. Yep. Okay, so ultimately the, the role of the PYY peptide is to stop Things like candida albicans, like the commensal form, which once again, you're getting benefits from immune system, nutrient assimilation, nutrient absorption, okay? That stopping the commensal form of candida albicans from turning into its more virulent form. Yeah. So if we're looking at the, the, the gastrointestinal tracts, natural defense mechanism against the more virulent forms of candida and yeast, I'm going to break the news to people. It's not antifungals. It's not niastatin. It's not monolurin. I love monolurin. Amazing. Okay. Colloidal, not colloidal silver. Okay. That is your body's natural defense mechanism. Okay. The unfortunate thing, okay, if you're like alcohol is really detrimental to panacells. Okay. And that could apply to things like, you know, ethanol, acetaldehyde. Okay, which obviously it's ironic because the panacells keep in check the yeast and the candida. Okay, but then you get the ethanol and the acetaldehyde come coming from the candida and the yeast. Yeah, yeah okay. But that. also, yeah, and then also like zinc. It's like zinc's really important. Okay, so you know one of these antimicrobial peptides is an enzyme. Okay, it's called lysozymes. Okay, so lysozymes for people who don't know, if you take a biofilm agent like you take like interface pass or interface, okay, it's got lysozymes in it. Okay, so. The panacells, okay, secrete the lysozyme and the lysozyme. So once again, these the, like the biofilm and the uh, to to break down the bacterial cell wall. To think that your body doesn't already have that covered is mental. It's mental. Yeah. yeah okay. It's got that covered, and lysozymes break down the bacterial cell wall. They break down the biofilm. Okay. And what's happening is, why do you think you've got to take it as a supplement? Because your gastrointestinal tract is not doing that very well. Yeah. And you've got to ask yourself, why isn't it doing that very well? Okay. And you've got to restore it. You can't just keep on taking like lysozymes for the rest of your life. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that zinc is really important. Okay. For panacells. And, and interesting enough, like panacells is where you actually uptake metals. Okay. And zinc is actually a metal. Yeah. Okay. So they actually, in rats and mice, they knocked out the zinc transporter. Okay. And so when they knocked out the zinc transporter, it decreased lysozyme production. So what's it doing for antimicrobial peptides? 
It's not good, okay? So if you've got a zinc deficiency, that's not gonna bode well for the panacell, okay? Now also panacells, okay, you've got a vitamin D receptor, okay? So they knocked out the vitamin D receptor in rats and mice, and most people are gonna listen to this and go, oh, it's rats and mice, I don't really care about that research. It's, it doesn't mean it's not valuable, yeah, yeah okay? Uh, and so what they actually noticed is lysozyme production went down, okay? They also, they gave these rats and mice salmonella, which is a foodborne pathogen, okay? We know foodborne pathogens can be a culprit behind like uh, uh, SIBO, like motility issues, okay? Um, and so what they actually noticed, okay, when they knocked out the vitamin D receptor, okay, it, de it increased the amount of inflammation taking place within the gastrointestinal tract. It also increased the amount of small intestinal injury. Mm. Okay, they also did starvation models in rats and mice. Now that might apply to crash dieting and okay, like you know, uh, severe malnourishment for extended periods of time, maybe people fasting. You know, a lot of people when they've got gastrointestinal issues, they I'm sure you guys would agree with this. They think the answer is just, well, I'm just going to fast all the time. Uh, and then I go, well, why are you doing that? Okay, it's a stress on the body. And they go, well, I feel better. I go, of course you do. Okay, you're not eating. Okay, yeah. you've got dysbiosis. Okay, of course you're going to feel that's not normal. That's not the answer. Similar yeah, okay. to carnivore sometimes, I think, Dave. Some of the kind of it's like you're just not eating fiber. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, if you take away high fermentable food, yeah. okay, and you've got a fermentation issue in the gut, well, okay, yeah, duh. Okay, yeah. I'm going to feel better. Yeah. And okay. it's not going anywhere if you do these things. I mean, like, you've got to, you've got to deal with the issue. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, okay. And so that when they did these starvation models in rats and mice, okay, this is quite alarming. Okay. They actually showed. It decreased lysosome production, okay? It actually increased the amount of inflammation in the ileum, okay? Uh, the rats and mice were more prone to Crohn's in the ileum, okay? So you can get Crohn's in the ileum, you can get Crohn's in the colon, ultimately you can have Crohn's in both, yeah, okay? Uh, so once again, I said Crohn's is really characterized by your panacells just don't work, okay? Because your natural defense mechanisms, they're, they're just not doing their job. And that's why you're prone to so much like inflammation there. Okay, and also there was actually a compromisation the ileocecal valve. So now, if people don't understand what the ileocecal valve is, the ileocecal valve controls the contents of the food coming from the ileum to the colon. Okay, now if there's an issue there, what are you going to be a lot more prone to? SIBO. SIBO. Mm. Okay, now when they created, they created all these scenarios where they created like uh, panacell deficient mice. Okay, so when they did that, okay, they actually showed that these mice were more prone to Klebsiella pneumonia infection. That's negative gram bacteria. Okay, repeated Klebsiella pneumonia infection is actually linked to ankylosing spondylitis. Well, okay, so now we're talking about molecular, molecular mimicry, molecular mimics. Okay, this is like uh, bacterial virulence factors. Okay, this is the other thing you got to deal with bacterial virulence factors. Okay, bacteria is highly adaptable, it evolves. Okay. Uh, even in the medical realms, they know that antibiotics don't work very well, okay? And so what they're looking at, okay, is they're looking at, at developing pharmaceutical drugs, okay, to inhibit bacterial virulence factors, okay? Quorum sensing, that's a signaling pathway, okay, that basically um, bacteria use. Uh, it's cell-to-cell -cell communication, okay, that allows the bacteria to understand your cell density so they can adjust their gene expression according to that. Wow. Okay. So they wanted to create like pharmaceutical drugs that are like quorum sensing inhibitors. Okay. Uh, I think they might use like, uh, you know, things like erythromycin, you know, but it just creates more issues ultimately. Okay. But there's already quorum sensing inhibitors, natural quorum sensing inhibitors, like quercetin is a quorum sensing inhibitor. Okay. Uh, curcumin is a quorum sensing inhibitor. Berberine is a quorum sensing inhibitor. Allicin is a quorum sensing inhibitor. NAC is a quorum sensing inhibitor. And um, obviously, you know, I'm going to 
quote Jake again here, okay, but Jake would actually say, generally when something is good, it's generally good for everything. Mm. Yeah. Okay, I just think that's so true. Yeah, okay, but people aren't like, people are just like, once again, they're hell bent on the germ theory, eradication, eradication, eradication. Okay, if you don't deal with the, the virulence factors, if you don't deal with things like adhesion, so, so for people who don't know, know what virulence factors are, okay, they're molecules that allow the bacteria to colonize the host, wear the host, whether we like it or not, okay, from a cellular level, okay? So adhesion binding to your cell wall, that's a virulence factor, okay? So uh, pathogenic strains like positive gram bacteria, like Staphylococcus which is like multi-drug resistant, okay, Streptococcus mutans, a lot of these bacterial strains make up SIBO. They uh, have a surface protein, they secrete a surface protein, it's an enzyme that allows adhesion and binding. Mm. So it's hard to dislodge it, yeah. What do you use? You need to use sortase A inhibitors. So once again, the medical realms, they want to uh, create pharmaceutical drugs that inhibit the sortase A. Well, curcumin is a sortase A inhibitor. Ah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you get so, curcumin, quercin to obviously inhibit these kind of um, bacterial kind of- the virulence These virulence factors, like once way. again, like, so, yeah. so quorum sensing is all about like, yeah, uh, bacterial growth, bacterial proliferation, uh, antibiotic synthesis, environmental adaptation, biofilm. Biofilm's a virulence factor. Yeah. 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 Okay. So if you're you not, if you're not dealing of, of, of the, like the, obviously it's not going to proliferate, plus you're also getting the repair. benefit for the repair of the uh, progenitor cells and the panacea cells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, and even like, you know, tight junction proteins, I mean, curcumin is documented around, you know, things like Zonulin, yeah, okay. Um, you know, even uh, I think it's Claudin one, yeah, okay. You know, uh, quercetin, okay, is really good around uh, the assembly and expression of tight junction proteins. Yeah, okay. Uh, Boswellia is good for goblet cells, helps to keep intact the intestinal tract. It's, that's the thing, okay. Like I love BPC and I love things like GHK, but I mean, they, they, those compounds, okay. Like I just call them the three super compounds. Just cover so many. Bases. Like so many bases, you okay? <laughs> now getting back to the panacea again, okay? Uh, when you when you got like a panacea loss, okay? So once again, they create all these scenarios in rats and mice, okay? But when you get panacea loss, yeah, okay, they they actually showed that you get uh, greater amounts of bacterial translocation, okay? So these metabolites and all these things, okay, that we've been talking about, like LPS and all that type of stuff, you get a greater amount of bacterial translocation to other organs around the body, like the spleen. Yep. Well, the spleen is really important around what? Your lymphatic system. Mm. Okay, like dealing with like old red blood cells. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, and like a lot of people when they get that discomfort where they've got like more, you know, bacterial metabolites and more translocation, they can get a pain in the upper left side of the gastrointestinal tract, okay? And they just get this pain like on and off, okay? And I would say that's probably coming uh, about from compromisation of the panacea okay? And you just got more of these metabolites, okay, that are just, you're getting more of this translocation, okay? If you've got a decrease in the AMP, so the AMPs will prevent bacterial trans translocation to the liver. Yeah. Okay, so you're going to be a lot more prone to liver disease, like systemic diseases, okay, like graft-versus-host disease, okay, now also uh, acute pancreatitis, and then acute pancreatitis can lead to more sinister things, like even potentially like cancer, okay, but they actually um, showed that individuals, okay, who had acute pancreatitis were more, they had more compromised panacea Okay, now they want to understand the chicken before the egg scenario. That's what we want to understand. We got like, so some people go, this is more important than that. And I go, well, let's understand, is it? 
okay what's actually causing that issue okay so what they did okay uh, they replicated that in rats and mice okay and then they gave to restore the panacell structure they gave the rats and mice lysosome so most of the time to restore panacells they give rats and mice lysosome to restore the panacell structure restoration renewal lysosome you can take lysosome okay so a lot of time if you take a biofilm agent yeah, people think okay, they're getting yeah. that benefit from the biofilm agent from all these other enzymes i might argue that you're actually getting a lot of the benefit from the lysosomes wow yeah. so ah mm. oh, so and you put <laughs> that a, seems like that just blew your mind, blew well, your mind well, <laughs> yeah well it did a little bit because i think like you know me and you have talked around biofilm before and like yeah. to maybe get a biofilm agent in early into protocols because like they're so um you know they're just so well formed these days but now it's like hang on a second it's not just breaking down the biofilm we're getting some like actual um uh, panacell healing while we're breaking down the biofilm as well yeah and when they did that when they restored the panacells okay what it did it actually alleviated okay the severity of the acute pancreatitis wow so the inflammation in the pancreas went down oh. yeah okay like even when they did like a the, it's called a don challenge okay uh so a don challenge is like so don is a mycotoxin okay yeah. so it's the deoxynevolanol okay uh induces oxidative stress in the gut lining impedes on the expansion of intestinal stem cells okay it raises like ast alt ramps up like liver enzymes okay so you get it from small grains okay so it'd be things like wheat barley oats rye corn okay buckwheat okay i think a lot of people get me wrong on this they go oh but you know oats are good for you it's not i'm not i'm not saying that oats are bad for you okay i'm saying it's generally what we've done to the food that is the problem or the yeah. oats sitting in the bottom of the silo yeah exactly yeah okay yeah. like like anything where there's like no airflow there's no ventilation no circulation okay it's it's going it's going to obviously it grows the fungus it grows um you know it, it, it's for example like something like uh aflatoxins there's aflatoxin b1 comes from aspergillus flavus okay it's a fungus and it releases the mycotoxin okay and then you consume the mycotoxin the mycotoxin obviously internally is really detrimental okay mycotoxins so bad for the gut line it's just unreal okay like aflatoxins damage the intestinal villi decrease mucin production uh interfere with interleukin a that's like pathogen removal damages gap junctions damages the tight junction proteins okay it's just like yeah, aflatoxin b1 which you get from tree nuts yeah okay you know things like uh, cashews and peanuts and uh, brazil nuts and walnuts yeah okay you know, aflatoxin B1 has been shown to raise AST, ALT, ALP, urea, barn, this is renal function, creatinine, lowered white blood cell count, red blood cell count, uh, hemoglobin. Okay, like so, mm. and I'm not saying mycotoxins are the only, you know, culprit here, okay, but you you get like the, you know, the, uh, they, they actually in rats and mice, they did like a DON challenge, okay, where they actually showed that the uh, DON damaged the panacells. But ironically, okay, they actually, well, once again, they use lysosomes to restore the panacell, you know, structure, okay, so renewal of the panacells, okay, and ironically, the panacells, okay, actually help to minimize the amount of uh, injury to the, like, you know, the gastrointestinal tract, yeah. but also uh, minimize the amount of intestinal stem cell loss. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Yeah. So... Once again, okay, so you could say like your 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 protection, okay, from the mycotoxins, okay, even though the mycotoxins damage the panacells, but you need the panacells to actually help to minimize the amount of damage that is actually taking place. Yeah, okay. And so what I would generally say to people, okay, um, is what like 
what have people been told to restore the panacels? Nothing. Nothing. No. Okay. And so, like, really interesting, yeah, okay, if we go, okay, what compounds were really talked about, like, around COVID? Um, zinc? Yep. Vitamin D. Okay, so we need, we need zinc for the panacels. NAC. Okay. Vitamin D. Well, you've got a vitamin D receptor on your panacels. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Curcumin. Well, curcumin increases AMPs. Yeah. Black seed, so, black seed oil. Yeah. But like, you know, like I, like I haven't found any data yet around like, well, obviously black cumin, everyone's talking about it. Okay. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely got a huge amount of like, you know, benefits around like uh, helicobacter and H. pylori and um, I mean, obviously thyroid issues. Okay. You know, Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism and, all that type of stuff. Yeah, okay. I think REM sleep. Okay. There's some documentation around that as well. Okay. Um, I haven't found any uh, stuff around, uh, you know, uh, black cumin or black seed oil around like, uh, you know, panacels and intestinal stem cells. I'm not saying that might exist. Yeah. Okay. Seems to be good uh, for everything. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be. Yeah. Okay. Like one of my colleagues, like uh, Benny Lifts. Okay. Or Ben Kant. Okay. He's yeah. like putting, yeah, like he puts out some great content. Okay. But, uh, it's uh it seems like uh it, it definitely ticks a lot of boxes okay yeah. uh the nigella uh sativa okay for people who don't know okay that's uh yeah. but uh yeah I, I guess my big point yeah okay is like well a lot of people just go well i just don't think i've got that issue okay well how many people might have zinc issues how many people might have vitamin d issues how many people might be like crash dieting like malnourished okay or start going through starvation okay they're scared of eating okay so they're just fasting all the time okay even like the intestinal stem cells and then people like so people go oh, it just doesn't apply to me okay well these are all the things that damage intestinal stem cells alcohol yeah okay um okay so uh persistent oxidative stress Okay, and so things that would contribute to persistent oxidative stress is when you have too many free radicals, you don't have enough antioxidants. And when I say antioxidants, okay, I'm not talking about you going and having like a green smoothie down the shop, okay, or like a green juice, okay. The most powerful antioxidants in the body is cholesterol, which has been totally demonized, yeah, okay. Uh, and remember like cholesterol, okay, like LDL cholesterol, okay, binds to LPS, this is protecting you, yeah, okay. So it actually helps to render the uh, endotoxin non-toxic. Yeah. Okay. So cholesterol, melatonin. Okay. Wait, powerful. I'm just making real quick point of that, like, because yeah, yeah. people listening, like your LDL cholesterol, the bad cholesterol, could be high in your blood work because it is binding to a toxin made from bacteria in your gut. Yeah. Well, basically, your liver is going to synthesize more of it. Okay. Yeah. To try and help. That's they actually do know that LPS. They've done the studies on this. That an increase in. Uh, um, uh, uh, lipid markers like so like hyperlipidemia basically okay has been linked to like lps yeah, mm. yeah it's also like mycotoxemia as well isn't it uh like with the increase too uh well, yeah I, mean, I i i don't know if i've, I've you know, seen a lot of uh you know like studies behind that okay but once again look, there, there might be a good chance that's also mm. linked to that as well okay um but obviously there can be a bit of a link there with like, you know, SIBO as well. Okay, but bear in mind like most SIBO is like negative gram bacteria anyway, okay? Yeah, like, you know, yeah, Klebsiella yeah. and Escherichia coli and Bacteroids, okay? So these powerful antioxidants, okay, like, you know, cholesterol, glutathione, yeah, okay, uh, melatonin, okay, but also vitamin C, vitamin E. That's what I'm talking about, okay? And a lot of people, 86% of people don't hit the recommended daily allowance for like vitamin E. Nah. Okay. 
And most of the time people are trying to get it, if, if they're trying to get it, okay, they're trying to get it from, you know, maybe like sunflower seeds or sunflower oil yeah. or something like that. I would generally say the best form of, you know, um, getting dietary like vitamin E would be like goose fat, duck fat, like yeah. animal fats. Yeah, okay. Um, but, yeah, a lot of these uh, and, and, and really if you li- listen to Dr. Brian Walsh, he would say the only true free radical scavenger in the body is really vitamin E. Maybe coenzyme Q10 to a, to a, uh, a certain point as well, okay. But, these are the powerful antioxidants I'm talking about. They neutralize the free radicals, okay? You know if you've got too much oxidative stress. Oxidative stress is completely normal, okay? Once again, it's not the devil. Free radicals are completely normal. You produce free radicals when you're liver detoxifying, okay? But if you've got too many free radicals and you don't have enough antioxidants to neutralize it, okay, you've got more oxidative stress, okay? Signs of oxidative stress is like lethargy, fatigue, malaise, okay, just completely flatline how many people sit in that realms, okay? Uh, but if you've got persistent oxidative stress, you compromise intestinal stem cells. And that's coming about really from things like overtraining, not training smart. Okay. That's why, once again, if you listen to, you know, Jake in particular, he's really beating that drum around like minimizing central fatigue and all that type of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which I think more and more people are going to have to do that. Okay. Whether they like it or not. Okay. Because like contributors to central fatigue, okay, is going to be like acute inflammation, low grade inflammation, dysbiosis, sleep deprivation. I mean, how many people have got those issues going on? Yeah. Okay, so those types of training systems that Jake talks about, like rest pause method, and you know, um, you know, it might be cluster training or just more concentric training. I think they're going to come more and more to the fore, okay, because you've got to try and minimise the central fatigue. Probably should be doing that anyway. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so you know, it could be overtraining. Okay, it could be like uh, chronic stress. It could be emotional stress, childhood traumas. Uh, you know, negative emotions. Okay. Uh, it could be like mycotoxins that we've already spoken about, okay, Don, aflatoxins, okay. Um, it can be heavy metals, nanoparticles, microplastics, okay. So all these things create persistent oxidative stress. That's not good for your intestinal stem cells, no. okay. Poor glutathione synthesis. You might get an indication of that with like maybe an elevation of your GGT, gamma glutamyl transferase or something like that, okay. But how many people struggle with glutathione? Huge amount of people. You can have like gene mutations, the GSS gene, where you struggle with glutathione synthetase. Okay, so so all these things, okay, and it's other things as well. We talked about aging. We talked about um, it could be high heat stresses, okay, yeah. high heat temperatures, and not me telling people don't. I mean, you guys are in Queensland. I'm not telling people don't go out in the sun. Yeah, okay, but just to be mindful, okay, that it's it's not the cause. But you take all these things and you pile them on top of each other, okay. It doesn't bode that well for intestinal stem cells and panda cells. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So how can you, like my point would be, okay, so for, for example, panacells, they're involved in microbiome or microbiota homeostasis. Yep, yep. So what do you, what do you, what's the answer? Just keep on going like probiotic, probiotic, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there, yes, there's certain like probiotics, like for example, lactobacillus plantarum is actually pretty good around like panacells, just to let you know. I think it's probably one of the most safeguard you know, probiotics that you can actually take from a lactobacillus perspective, okay? But am I saying that the answer is that people just take like endlessly lactobacillus plantarum, okay, to try and correct that issue, okay? I'm not saying that, yeah, okay? I, I would say that you, we have to, okay, like restore these things first to even have any chance of some sort of like, you know, homeostasis yep. within, within the gut, yeah, okay? Uh, there'd obviously be a lot of people who disagree with me on that, okay? And they might go, oh, it's all down because the microbiome are going to help with that. And I go, I just, for me, I'm looking at that. I'm just going like, it's important for sure. 
Yeah. Okay. I'm not disputing the benefits of like lactobacillus acidophilus. Okay. Around like candida and yeast, but you just keep on taking like a lactobacillus acidophilus, like ongoing. Okay. You're tipping the scales in favor of one particular uh, lactobacillus strain. There's 190 different strains of lactobacillus. Mm, okay. Yeah. So what, that's what you're going to do. Okay, where wouldn't you think that the better approach, okay, which is not going to create some sort of imbalance and, you know, I think they've shown, um, I'd say the research a bit murky around this guy, they've shown that just taking like a lactobacillus acidophilus just like ongoing might create some issue around weight gain or because you're just tipping the scales in favour of one particular, you know, uh, lactobacillus strain, okay. Now, is that a better approach or is it a better approach to go, well, if I look after the panacels, which is coming down to compounds like, curcumin and you know zinc and vitamin d and uh which i'm getting all these other benefits like even lactoferrin is pretty amazing around that yeah okay like uh, i think lactoferrin i might be biased here okay but i just think it's literally one of the best compounds like going around yeah okay yeah, you get I, from uh, colostrum many of the listeners yeah 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 i mean you get it from like obviously dairy we produce lactoferrin yeah okay it's a, a globular glycoprotein but once again like why why are we also now having to maybe consume more of it yeah okay um you know i i would actually put lactoferrin just a bit of a side note i i think it's just as just as good as like a lot of these peptides that we've been talking about yeah you know, just just so Very multifaceted yeah so multifaceted i mean yeah. you know the iron modulation and it binds to lps and it destabilizes like negative gram bacteria strains it raises bifidobacterium okay and that's just me scraping the surface yeah okay i find myself um, using it all the time now like like it's like i mean i just it's not a lot of clients i don't use lactoferrin with to be honest yeah. okay it's just that good yeah okay um so a lot of these compounds okay they're really good around like you know panacels yeah okay um and for me okay it just seems like using not not using those necessary all the time okay but that's going to be seem like a lot better preventative approach Okay, then me just going this probiotic or, uh, you know, I mean, like, I hate to break the news to people, okay, that you're not going to fix your panacell issues and intestinal stem cell issues by having some sauerkraut once a day. <laughs> nah, and that, mate, like, to be honest, like, it's one of the big, like, messages I want to, like, you know, like, sort of wrap this up with is, and I think it's it's not well enough spoken about, and I, you know, you've, like, spoken at length about it is, looking after the structure is the number one thing and like you said it at the start and i like i you know i think jordan's the same we all we all start our protocols with gut structure um rebuilding um and it's you know um what's the word i'm looking for um it's a must you know it's a yeah. must it's a must do um but now it's like looking into these these detail like the further detail of the things that are going to actually help the systems that will stop microbial imbalances in your gut and like it, like from what you know what you're saying is if we can get these structures right if we can get the panacells right if we can get the progenitor cells right and we start to get these defense mechanisms rebuilding again maybe you don't have to use the antifungals maybe you don't have to use the probiotics maybe you don't have and to or yeah, and ultimately, it's going to be better after antimicrobial. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, it's going to have a bigger cascade effect. I'm not like once, and I don't want to make it sound because like we've all got bias. Ultimately, yeah, yeah. we've yeah. all got bias. So people who don't think they've got bias, I mean, probably need to do a little bit more work on themselves as an individual. Yeah, okay. Like we've all got bias. Do I have a bias towards panic cells and intestinal stem cells in the gut? Of course, okay. I don't I'm, think you do. <laughs> <laughs> I've invested so much time. Okay. Yeah, and, and people just like, what I disagree with is that people think, 
okay, that they might be, you know, supporting like, you know, uh, diaphragmatic breathing and ice therapy. And then they just go, that's it. That's the answer. I go, I mean, the amount of people who've come to me, they're doing like ice baths every single day. They're doing diaphragmatic breathing. And then I look what's going on with the gut and it's just a bombsite. Yeah. Okay. And people like, I'm always suspicious of when people are preaching just one thing and they think that one thing is going to correct all other aspects. Okay within the body okay like i'm not saying you got like ultimately okay if someone's got a thyroid issue okay which might come about from like you know malnourishment under eating or whatever that might be there could be issues around iron or you know selenium obviously it could be many factors there yeah okay maybe not have enough the building box or tyrosine or iodine okay but if someone's got a thyroid issue okay a thyroid issue can create a gut issue and now the gut issue creates a thyroid issue mm. Okay, so I mean, ultimately to correct that issue, you got to you got to correct both. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm not saying that if you correct your gut, you're not going to have a thyroid issue because if you don't fix what's going on with the the the, the reasons to why you got the thyroid issue, ultimately the thyroid issue is going to create the gut issue. Gut issues again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So ultimately, okay, like you know, people might go, but what about the brain? I go, well, that's important. Yeah. Okay. Like you got to understand, like, are there childhood traumas? Are is there emotional stresses? Okay. But if people are just preaching that and they say that you can correct like everything by just doing that, then I'm saying that's your bias. Yeah. Well, it takes away a holistic model, doesn't it? I guess like we're, you know, the holistic model is to look at all facets. Yeah. I mean, I know like, you know, like, like even like, I I think a big thing is like, I don't know, I think you guys might've talked about it recently, like lymphatics. Yeah. And And it's incredibly important. Okay. But bear in mind, okay. Where do you get the building box? Well, that's child and child has lymph. Mm. Okay. And that's to do with your lacteals. Guess where the lacteals are located? This is all to do with your ability to metabolize fat. Mm. This is the building box. Okay. And now we're talking about lymphatic organs, all that type of stuff. Okay. So you've got to be able to metabolize fats. Well, what happens if you've got issues with like mycelizing factors, bile and bile salt issues? Okay. The, the lacteals are actually found within the intestinal villi. Yeah. Mm. And that's building blocks. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm not, it's not me saying that lymphatics. Okay. Like uh, focusing on the lymphatic system is not important, but you can't just focus on the lymphatic system. Okay. And not correct what's going on in the gut. You yeah. just cannot do that. Okay. Cause I'm just saying like, you're just going to be spinning your wheels ultimately. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, and that's not once again, don't, I don't want people to get me wrong. That's not me saying that that's not important. Mm. Okay. That's important. Okay. But once again, you cannot neglect that. Yeah. Okay. And it's not like, I would argue, it's not like one has to necessarily come before the other. Mm. Okay. Um, but yeah, I just think it, it's, uh, it's, you've got to focus on all aspects. If you want really truly want to achieve optimal health, okay. You, the more that you're willing to, uh, cover like every single realms, the closer you're going to get towards that. Mm. Yeah, oh, mate, you're spot on, and I, I think that's um, I think that's a really good way to like wrap it up because yeah. um, uh, well, we can keep talking for days here. <laughs> <laughs> you're, just, uh, you're, like, you're, you're like the Doctor Google, but on steroids. Yeah, <laughs> but we, yeah, like we we could. We'll, I reckon we might we'll 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 wrap it there because it's it's a bloody good line. Yeah. But mate, can we can we please get you back for round two? Because yeah, exactly. yeah. welcome. Yeah. yeah. Well, as I said, like, I, you know, I'm sort of surprised I haven't done a podcast for a long period of time and maybe it's me being still like overseas. I don't know. People, 
Uh, I feel like you, a, mate. A you, you become <laughs> We haven't forgotten about it. <laughs> no, mate. We're following. Yeah. Tra- we're intrigued all the time. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, mate, look, thanks so much for coming on. Um, like I said, I, I think the people who listen to this are going to have their mind blown, just like I did the first time I walked into your office. Yeah. Um, it's it's actually – I'm actually going to go back and start reviewing my protocols and stuff and start <laughs> looking at am I actually attacking the panacea cells and the progenitor cells properly. So I feel like I've grown from this session, mate, and yeah. I would just um, love to get you back for round two. But for now, thank you very much. Yeah. No, oh, thanks, yeah. Dave. Well, I will say one thing as well. The, the first time I met you, we did the first podcast, I walked out with a headache because I was that fucking fried. <laughs> <laughs> Today, I'm not as fried. So I'm, 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 I'm show so you that I've progressed. <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, you, you don't need the PEA, like post-podcast. Uh, yeah, you don't need the no. pomatoid lethanolamide to, to help with well, the headache. I, know, I, might, I might need it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, thanks very much for having me on the podcast. It's uh, – um, yeah, I feel really honoured. Okay, um, and it's always like uh, you know, um, amazing to speak to people who are on a similar journey. Okay, and uh, you know, thanks for committing yourself to 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 bettering the lives of others. Yep. Thanks yeah. so much. Dave. Thanks so much, Dave. Appreciate that, mate. Yeah, appreciate you, mate. Bye, mate. Thanks for listening. We hope this opened your mind to new possibilities in your journey. If you want to follow on for more, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Life Athlete Health and at Coach Jordan Briggs. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. We'll see you next time.